ladies and gentlemen, we're here at Real Deal Talk with my girl, Kaylin Ellsbury. Hey. Did I say that right? You, you nailed it. Because you have a unique spelling to your name. K-L-Y-N. That's right. Kaylin. Mm-hmm. I love that. So Kaylin here has got quite a story. Let me tell you, folks. And uh, I'm just going to plant a quick seed here. So that way you guys know what we're going to even get into here throughout this next, I don't even know how long this is going to be. This could go on for a while, but because her stories, because she was actually telling me some more stories prior to us talking right now. And I'm like, I didn't even know that. So you were born with cystic fibrosis. Is that right? You nailed it. Okay. Um, So parents that have children that are born with this or kids that have this, um, look at this woman right here. She looks phenomenal. She is, you know, born with cystic fibrosis. Have gone through what was it seventy surgeries, hospitalizations, seventy hospitalizations in her life for this. Um, what would you call an ailment, a, a disease? I don't like calling using the word disease, but yeah. you know, I mean, technically, it is a genetic disease. Okay. So you're born with it. <clears throat> yeah, but seventy hospitalizations, and look at her, and she's now a two-time best-selling author. She is a public speaker, motivational speaker throughout the entire country. You have how many gigs uh, for this next year booked already? 86. 86. <laughs> so if you're listening, you have cystic. If you were born with it, if you have kids that were born with it, let me tell you, it is possible, not only possible, but to live a, a, a beautiful life. But And so you're going to catch the story today, ladies and gentlemen. So I wanted to plant that seed and we're going to come back around to it. Or maybe we're not, because I'm going to go back to childhood right away, yeah. right? And you, let's first of all, to, for context, you you and I met at Hardcore Fitness, right? Yeah, eight years ago. Eight years ago, another shout out to Hardcore Fitness, Tommy Reynolds, owner here in San Diego, um, the gym that basically changed my life um, mm. because I was coming out of a really, really dark time with the business and I needed something to really spark me. And we did the 60 day challenge, my wife and I, actually Rachel did it first and then I did it. So shout out to Hardcore Fitness. If it's a place you want to get in shape, uh, boot camp business, uh, boot camp um, fitness and bodybuilding, which I love. So bodybuilding, boot camp, high intensity. You do a 60-day challenge, which I lost 40 pounds, my first 60-day challenge. So I was a fatty when I got to Hardcore Fitness, <laughs> believe it or not. So anyway, I want to give a quick shout out there. That's how you and I met, right? Yeah. Right? I'll never forget. We have a picture. I remember you and I took a picture. Yeah. Right in the uh, at the Marina gym, mm-hmm. and I was uh, there on scholarship too. You were, yeah, because I, I couldn't afford anything. Get out! So of here. a nonprofit gave me an athletic grant so I could work out. Shut up! Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was life changing. No way. <laughs> True story. Yeah. And could you imagine, like, when we were doing our? I think it was a selfie or something we were doing in the gym. <laughs> And we said, hey, eight years from now, I'm going to be doing a podcast and you're going to be, I'm going to be interviewing you and getting your story out to the world. Yeah. Could you imagine? Would you Not believe me? Not a chance. Not a chance. And I remember you and Rachel used to take photos, uh, gym photos, and you both just looked phenomenal. Yeah. And I was like, even back then, goals. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And look at us now. We did it. <laughs> face to face in a podcast, in the Real Deal Talk podcast room, about ready to unleash Kaylin's incredible testimony to the world. All right, here we go. Now let's dig in. All right, let's go back. So talk to me about 
you were born with this. Could you, can you tell me anything about childhood that either your mother, uh, parents told you what happened or do you, what, any memories you have, like right off the bat, were you in the hospital? Go back and tell me like how this all started. Yeah, so the thing with cystic fibrosis, for those of you who yeah, are listening. Education. Perfect. Yeah, you might be sitting there like, I think I've heard of it. You might have heard it called 65 roses because that's how children are taught to pronounce the disease because cystic fibrosis sounds weighty. And when I was born in 1987, the life expectancy was seven years old. And so the first six months of my life were in the neonatal intensive care unit. And essentially, my body does not process any food. I have very thick mucus. Uh, and then and that thick mucus causes something called malnutrition, meaning when you eat, you don't get the nutrients. Mm. And then from that, you're prone to lung infections. And that's usually how people with cystic fibrosis, uh, it's called a progressive illness, meaning every single year it gets worse than the year before. So most people, when they're diagnosed, the doctors, you know, it was interesting. They couldn't staff for uh, the progressive care of this disease, you know, healthcare workers for the longest time because nobody wanted the job when the parents gave birth to the child with cystic fibrosis. Nobody wanted to be that person and be like, oh, now we have to go tell their parents that their kid will die. And so they, just from a business perspective, uh, the the foundation that, you know, helped bring awareness to this disease uh, really struggled with staffing because nobody wants that as their job description. Can you imagine your only job description is to ruin parents' lives? Wow. Uh, And so, yeah, I was, uh, gosh, six months right away. And obviously you don't remember it, right? Uh, And then every year... Um, I would get hospitalized twice every spring and every fall. And that was just like the circadian rhythm of life. And most people with cystic fibrosis, they either have a heart attack and die because their lungs are so full of mucus that they can't excrete the mucus and then that infection grows. And so over time, you start to slowly lose your ability to take breaths. Uh, So, you know, average lung function if your end stage is in the 30s, if not 20%, meaning if you had this Starbucks straw, only for this podcast, breathe through the straw, and that's what it feels like. Wow. And so most people with cystic fibrosis have a heart attack because their heart can't keep up with the low lung function. And then usually at that time, seven to 10 years old, the child suffocates to death um, or has comorbidities. And so, you know, for me as a child, I didn't know any different. Uh, I didn't realize that there was an inherent danger. I remember running around on the playground. And by the way, running is a loose term because you probably remember at that gym, I ain't running very fast. <laughs> yeah. uh, on a good day, when, when we met eight years ago, I had 50% of my lung working. Uh, and so like I'd be running around as a kid, and I'd just cough, and then people would, dumbest thing you can do, <laughs> they'd say, hey, would you like a water? Like, yeah, that's really going to help, right? And I remember I'd be running around, and someone would offer me water because I started coughing. And I used to always look back at them and be like, I don't have a disease. It's a temporary illness. And like the doctors thought that was the cutest little thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, every spring, every fall, uh, average length of a hospital stay, 14 days. Uh, so one day I got really bored and I added it up and I spent 12 years of my life inside the wards because 70 times two weeks plus the six months. Wow. Wild, right? <laughs> so how, how, wait, what was the exact time? How much? Um, it was, it, it averaged out. We looked through all the medical records, um, but about 12 years. 12 total years in a hospital. Yeah. I mean, on and off, right? Right, For right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. <laughs> Wild. Good Lord. So let me, what do you do when you're in the hospital? What do they do? They just pump out your lungs? Yeah, essentially. Get the fluid out? It's called a tune-up. Uh, and so, I mean, every cystic fibrosis patient's different, right? Uh, but for me, particularly, so the rest of this podcast, I'm just going to talk about me and my experience with the disease 
because uh, there's 1,800 mutations, meaning yeah. you don't know what severity anyone has. Uh, but for me, it was uh, you go in an IV drip, uh, which is through a pick line. So that's the nasty tubes in your side. Right. I happened to get a port because my veins collapsed on pick lines. I can't keep up with them. Uh, and then, yeah, they just put uh, antibiotics through your port, and then they do something called manual chest percussion. You can either wear a vest or they physically beat you on your back and all all of your different lobes to force you to cough up and out the mucus. Wow. Uh, and then a huge nutrition program, which, in my opinion, is not that nutritious anyways, yeah. because most patients are malnourished, so they don't have food. Uh, so they, they counteract that by eating really high-fat high protein diets, but many times they call that mac and cheese, which we both know is very void of nutrients. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it's two weeks of intense lung health, uh, IV antibiotic drips, and then airway clearance, which basically uh, means a nebulizer. So about an hour in the morning, an hour at night, and a couple times throughout the day, they hook up a series of medications to a nebulizer to help you breathe and move the air that is finally getting opened up into your lungs. And so, um, like, this is crazy. This is nuts. Like, I, I, I had no idea. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So, why the, the the two times per year? You said every spring. Yeah. And every was it fall? Yeah. I mean, every patient has a different. But for me, it was cyclical. I lived in Iowa, rural Iowa, and I think it was right is around the harvest born? time. Yeah. Uh, and so, for me, it was any time that. The, the crops are being planted or taken out. It's something to do with seasonal allergies. And then it was just, it became like clockwork. Uh, it, yeah, <laughs> twice a year. So so every, would, would you would you get to the point where you were like anticipating it? Like, oh, oh no, yeah, it's you just coming, know. it's coming. Yeah, you just know. And then what, what like, how do you know? What, you can't breathe? Yeah, like you see me today and like we're having fun, we're laughing, I'm not yeah. coughing. And, and many times, like, I didn't know, but for the most part, like, I know I'm going to need a tune-up in the fall. Like, that's just what you do if you haven't had a tune-up for a while. Yeah. Uh, and many times I would have to strategically move my schedule around, you know, what what exciting things do I have going on socially that I can miss? Yeah. Because, like, let's make a pocket, because if I know I have the air function test, let's say in October, and I haven't been hospitalized, if that test is low, I know for a fact after Got that it. test, I'm probably going to get hospitalized. So don't make any plans for those two weeks just in case. Uh, or you just move it around. So I, in high school, I, I moved it around prom. I was kind of a loser. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a prom date anyways. No. Uh, so it was pretty easy to get yeah. out of prom by being the sick kid. Uh, so you just like physically schedule your hospitalizations. But then there are some times where you're just living your best life and it happens. And you're like, well, dang it. Didn't expect that. Yeah. So. so have you gotten to the point like where you, because you know the times where you're going to go in and do a, a lung test, right? Yep. So I'm assuming that you've gotten to the point where it just started, you can't breathe. Yeah. And, and then you're like, okay, I got to go in now. Yeah. You right? know. Yeah. Wow. Most that's... times you know, but sometimes it catches you off guard. So then you, you, so then you really can't run that much? I mean, what do you stay away from? Like what kind of exercising do you have to stay away from? Well, I don't. That's the difference. <laughs> I don't stay away from any of it, right? Are you supposed uh, to? No, because think of it. What does is, what is running do? It, it forces increases you your to lung cough. volume. Yeah, it yeah. increases. So they say don't because it's uncomfortable, right? When you cough huh. so much when you're running and you could not stop coughing, yeah. that's where most people give up because when you start coughing, it's like, oh, this is a sign my body needs to rest. I never subscribed to that doctrine. Mm. Uh, I remember I was in a wheelchair. It was around 38% lung function. This was during the time that after shortly after you and I met 
And I went into a 24-hour fitness and they had a Zumba class. And I'm, I'm in with my wheelchair, by the way. My mom is pushing me physically in a wheelchair to a Zumba class. And I'm a dancer. I love to dance. That's why I'm so inspired by a little girl. Aww. And uh, I remember she pushes me and I'm in the back of the class and I'm just, you know, poking it back and forth with the wheelchair using the arm muscles. And I remember being like, I'm going to be a Zumba instructor. And it was the wildest thought I had. Like, what is this chick with 35% of a lung thinking she's going to do? And for some reason, the instructor was so sweet. She noticed me and she's like, do you want to come up to the front? And she let me like wheel around (laughs) in the Zumba class. And sure enough, I completed my Zumba licensure uh, while on an IV drip, like no a year way. and a half later, and I became a certified Zumba instructor. And I wasn't any good because yeah, I didn't have the lung function to get through my classes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. But like, it doesn't. But you didn't. Yeah, just take one step in front of the other. Like, yeah. and for me, it was like, yeah, run until you cough, let your lungs calm down, and then run again. So, I mean, I just completed, and this is probably too off topic, but I just completed. Um, I think it's called Mount Marathon. It's one of the craziest 5Ks in the world in Seward, Alaska. Wow. And it's 4,000 oh feet I, elevation. I cannot believe I just, <laughs> I, I just got goosebumps all over my, my oh, it's gonna keep do you know my middle name? No. Is it Homer, Alaska? It's Seward. <laughs> Is it what? It's pronounced Seward, by the way. Seward, yeah. Alaska. That's funny. My great grandfather is like, the, 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 it's tied with the, the name Seward. Yeah. That I've never even heard anybody say it before. That's hilarious. Yes. Well, so now we got to do this 5K together. No way. Uh, if I can, you can. Absolutely not. <laughs> I Enough wasn't the fastest. <laughs> Enough about that. Uh, anyway, go ahead. So what, Personal so challenge. I, I can't believe you used that, that word, that, that name. That's great. And everybody knows my middle name. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Seward. Got to get yeah, my name John Seward DeHart. Yeah, that's right. JD. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, get, so what, what is it? Like, is it mountains and everything? Yeah, it's 4,000 feet elevation from seafloor oh to the gosh. top of the crest. Uh, you and did by it in one way, shot? I did it in one shot. I wasn't the fastest, uh, full disclosure. Yeah. Um, I will never be the fastest because, yeah. you know, lungs. Uh, but it took me five and a half hours, uh, 284 cardio minutes. Wow. It was like, gosh, I could pull it up, um, like 374 flights of stairs, five and a half oh hours. Oh, my and like, God. It was, it was magical. So, wow. yeah, I mean, just like anything, right? One foot in front of the other yeah. and you can get through. So I argue the exact opposite of part of the reason I'm alive is because I made fitness the, the middle of my identity, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Incredible. And so, so do most people that have this, do they avoid, would you be, would you say it's fair to say they avoid exercise? I mean, most people avoid exercise anyway that don't have this, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting. There's a group called the Salt Lick because, uh, fun fact, uh, with cystic fibrosis, uh, my skin tastes super salty. So yeah. if we're you know at a margarita bar and I'm like, here you go, uh, it's it's built-in flavoring. And uh, so most people with cystic, uh, cystic fibrosis know that there's this group online called the Salt Lick, and the Salt Lick are an elite endurance athletes who happen to also have cystic fibrosis. Yeah. And like these guys crush it. Like many of them have run Boston, like intense athletes i know a guy in there who climbed mount everest so like when these become your peers i mean i'm not gonna you know probably ever qualify for boston not that big of a goal uh, or everest for that matter but like you know when you're around the right people suddenly things become more possible than what you do in your own little limited world view and so i think that that was the big catalyst for me but i think yeah 
many patients with cystic fibrosis or any health ailment or even not any health ailment, the second it gets hard, they use that as an excuse and yes. then they stop. Oh, I can't run a mile, so I'm not going to walk in a block sounds stupid. But they don't realize is everything compounds over time. And so if you can't run the mile today, yeah, the reason you go for a block around the neighborhood is because over time, the block around the neighborhood becomes easy. Yeah, that's so, right. Yep. Now, have you ever tried Wim Hof breathing? Yeah, I've done a lot of breath work. Yeah. Wim Hof, the style I'm familiar, but I haven't actually Ooh, tried that one. Wow. But I will tell you, breath work is insane. Insane. Have you done Can it? You, yes. I, I go to this place. He was on, I, I'm going to, when we're done today, I'm going to make sure you watch his podcast. The owner of the Wim Hof Breathing Place in San Diego was on my podcast. Oh, that sounds amazing. Tyler Forbes. Yeah. I'm telling you. So what do you mean by insane? Is it really difficult for you or? No, it's, I don't know how to explain It's the purest. I'm going to When send, you finish like 40 minutes of intense yes, breath yes. work, it's a high unlike any other high. I'm, it is the I'm, most beautiful feeling in the world. I'm going to go with you on your first time. I would love to. Oh Let's my do God, it. I'm so excited about this. Yay. <laughs> so a guy just texted me a um, couple, I got more goosebumps here. A couple days ago, his name's Rainer. And I know him because he does home audio uh, integration with uh, security systems and everything. So I met him through, because we used to do that as a business. So that's a side story that w of what he does, but that's how I met him. And he had uh, stage four, I can't remember which type of cancer, but he was done. They said, yeah. you're done. It's terminal. It was terminal. Yeah. Terminal. And he was doing all the things. And I recommended that he go to do uh, Wim Hof breathing because you do a breathing because our, our life expectancy is revolves around the volume of our lungs. I'm yeah. sure you obviously know this. 100%. Yeah. So lung capacity is dictated to life expectancy, period. Like yeah. the larger lung capacity you have, the longer you're going to live. Yeah. Which ties us all in here. And so I sent that and you and what you do is you do an hour of breathing and then you get into an ice bath. Okay. I got a little that, scared, that not going to lie. That, that look, that look right there. <laughs> So I sent, I referred him to this place and he just texted me a few days ago and said, JD, um, I want you to know that the, the, it's called Breathe Degrees, it's in Carlsbad, has changed my life. Mm. I'm go, I literally go, have been going every single day what? and I have now been diagnosed, like I'm literally just about completely cancer free. He just texted me a couple. I didn't know idea That's he was. Amazing. I forgot to follow up, and I had no idea that he was going on a regular basis. And he said, "Tyler says hello." He said, "I'm now in the ice bath for like ten minutes a shot every day, every single day, because ice baths on the human yeah. body are extremely. They're like like you'll never get sick if you do an ice bath every day. It's that yeah. good. So anyway, that's another." Side topic. We're, we're doing that. That sounds amazing. We're going to do it. Okay. Let's go. So go back to now. Your do you remember how your parents like how they were reacting when you were a child and going through this when you were in the hospital? Did they always yeah. did they always fill you through a full of like uh, positivity and faith and like what would they? Do you remember that? Like how they reacted and how they felt? Yeah, I remember we would call it tough love. Uh, sometimes they weren't the greatest, uh, but looking back, like just because as a child, I didn't think they were great. I didn't see it mm. now as I do an adult. So yeah. uh, don't stop the show here. I'm gonna give my parents mad street cred. Uh, I remembered <laughs> many times, like I hated my brother because he was like bigger than me even though he was younger. And like he would beat me up, right? Like not like physically assault, but like how kids do. Yeah. And I would always scream at the top of my lungs, mom, Brad's hitting me, make him stop. And like 
they just didn't. And I got so pissy with them. Uh, and then now as an adult, I, I finally, one time I, I visited my parents, they live in Nashville now. And I was sitting down and I was like, why'd you let my brother just like beat on me all the time? And she's like, well, when you screamed and you yelled, it was a form of airway clearance. Wow. And so they let my brother like chase me around the house, like, cause that's exercise. And that's what kids need when they have a lung mm. issue. And looking back, it was like, so powerful to know that like, they use my brother as a tool of medicine because uh, they would be like, chase her around the house. And I'd be like, mom, Brad won't stop chasing me. Like, I'm tired of running. And sure enough, like being chased by your yeah. big younger brother, like that's that's a workout. Like that's what you're supposed to be doing. And so looking back, uh, wow. it was definitely tough love. Uh, I remembered one time, I'll tell you this story real quick. Kindergarten, most terrifying thing is they make you run a mile outside, mm. right? Around the school playground yep. fence. And I could not run a mile. And I go to the nurse because the nurse knows me. And I go, yeah, I'm scared in PE class. I have to run a mile. I need to call my mom so I can get out of this. And I call my mom and I tell her just what I told you. And she goes, you don't have to run this mile, sweetheart. Like, I love you. You're still my daughter. You don't have to run this. But just so you know, if you don't, you will die soon. I was like, I guess I'll run it. <laughs> that was the slowest, but wow. like they were very honest. Like, do you want to live or do you want to die? And like, they did not sugarcoat it. And many times like that was thrown back at me. Like, you don't have to do the thing, but if you want to live, you might want to consider doing the thing. Because the more things that you did to increase your lung volume, right? Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It's wild. And yeah. so, do you remember being in the hospital with your parents? Like, what, oh, what totally. when you were in the hospital? What was there? What were they doing? Being all positive? Give me the yeah. I me mean, the, we call it speaking life now. I didn't yeah. know that's what it was as a child. Um, but like the other weird thing is, like we start hanging out more. Most of my stories are going to be hospital stories, not because I live in the place of victimhood, but because that was legitimately my life. Yeah, I didn't get to go to summer camp. I went to Camp Super Kids, where all the kids sit around the fire with their IV poles. Uh, the, you know, the kids with the oxygen were a few feet away, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it was nurses delivering, you know, our medicines instead of s'mores. So like my parents were super instrumental in about just encouraging me. And they, they made me, <laughs> before I knew what it meant to be favored, they made me feel that like there's a purpose to mm. this. And like, this is not the wow. death sentence that it was. And I remember I had a really good girlfriend with cystic fibrosis. Uh, and you always know the story doesn't end well because you say the word had instead of have. Right. And around 12 years old, uh, Laura went away. And I was told she moved, right? So it's similar. This sounds bad. But I was, you know how when you lose a dog, you don't want to tell the kids that Fido's gone. So yeah. Fido went to a farm. Yeah. Uh, so Laura moved to Wisconsin. And I always missed Laura. This was before Facebook. So I was like, gosh, I wonder what ever happened to her. And sure enough, uh, she passed away when she was 12. And my parents just said she moved to Wisconsin because they didn't want in my mind to lose me to know that kids my age were dying Oof. and that like it's tough love you know and some people would listen to this and be like wow her parents totally lied to her but like yeah because <laughs> yeah. you don't want that you don't want that in your reticular activation system to know no. that well people with my disease died like you know Laura or Heather did or all of these stories of childhood uh, but they were always there in the hospital, my mom more than my dad, because my dad had to work hard to pay medical bills. And yeah, it was just a normal thing. I got to hang out with my nurses and all the friends on the ward. 
uh, we would take the IV poles and use them as skateboards and go past the nurse's station and shoot them with the saline drip. Uh, it was just kind of our fun game. Yeah. Uh, and like, I remember for little activities, we would uh, go to all the different floors and like shake the vending machines and try to get quarters. And because we couldn't have sugar without the nurses getting involved, sometimes we'd sneak sugar. Uh, such, such rebels. Yeah. And other times we'd just take those quarters and we'd give them to like crying families in the waiting rooms. Because like there's nothing more magical about sitting in the waiting room to talk to the doctor and then like a little kid comes up with her IV pole and is like, would you like my quarters for the vending machine? Just like giving yeah. families hope. And so I, I have a ton of memories of my mom and I walking around the hospital just stealing the quarters out of the vending machine like Robin Hood, like we were some saint. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. And so tell me about uh, when you were like, any school stories, like were you, because I, I know how brutal kids can be. Did anybody yeah. did anybody make fun of you? Oh, were, constantly. Were you bullied at all? Like, be, really? So, do, <laughs> so do, what do you remember? Uh, I remember being a loner a lot because uh, you know if you miss six months out of the year for hospitalizations and then you show up, um, there was a couple things that I thought were interesting. Uh, when you move so many times, because we kept having to move also because my dad, uh, his sales career kept growing. Uh. And so we kept moving and every time we'd move, they would get confused on our transcripts. And so I would always opt out of the classes I didn't want to take, which was basically history, uh, math and science, because I liked words instead. Yeah. And so I never had a history, math or science class. And I was like, that really, I mean, I've had like the basic math, yes. but outside of that, you know, uh, I know H2O is water. So right. that was my science. Uh, <laughs> and so like I would just take the same classes over and over but that got me a 4.0 so it's not that I'm brilliant it's that I took the same class four years in a row yeah. uh, different nice. school whatever and so like I kind of got made fun of a little bit because yeah I was super awkward nobody wants to talk to the girl who has to get up in the middle of class and go outside and cough because like coughing's wretched especially yeah. when it's like for 45 minutes everyone's right. like oh she's got germs uh, and then just you know help out I was I was a loner uh, I, I managed to be on the cheerleading and the dance team. Not that I was any good, uh, <laughs> yeah. but like I showed up, you know, like I felt like I was always like the pity case that like got to hang out with the cheerleaders. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. My dad says that made me funny instead of talented. So we'll go with that. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a really interesting dynamic. I would have nurses come to the classrooms to inject me with whatever antibiotic I needed that month. If I had to avoid a hospitalization, so it was always just a little distant. I don't think it was like malice from the kids. I mean, sure, it probably was from a couple of them. But I think it was just like confusion. Like, who is this chick? Why does she always need health care? And how come every time she laughs, she coughs? So it was yeah. more of like a, yeah. a, a perceived distance. But then looking back, I knew everybody. I, I had friends, but like I didn't have community, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so um, now, now did you try, did, did you try out for sports or just say, no, sports are out? Like, I mean, there's no time. I mean, I was a cheerleader yeah, and I was on color guard. So in a yeah. way, that's a sport I'll right. fight you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but like, yeah, I mean, my schedule is just too unreliable because like nobody wants, and I was I was great at cheerleading. I was on a, a semi-pro dance team. Uh, but like you could never cast me per se yeah, because you didn't know when I would, we call it going down, right? You didn't know when I'd go down. Uh, you know, and you can plan the hospitalizations to a point, but like, you can't have like your star cheerleader or dancer be set to cast and then we don't know if Kaylin's gonna be able to show up that day. So right. it's always a very great supporting dancer. 
Uh, and a couple of times I get I did get to be at the front, but for the most part, like I just got to come and go when I please. Gotcha. Now along the way, like let's say childhood. Do you have any memories of where you were down on yourself, where you felt self-pity to where you, like, maybe, let's say, lost hope or why me? Do you remember anything like that? Like, when you were young, like, at any point, did you, like, just pissed off? Like, why did this happen to me? Like, was there any time throughout there that you dipped into that type of a mental... Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I think it wouldn't serve anyone if I was like, nope, I was a perfect little child with this great emotional intelligence. Right. Uh, there's one memory that really clicks for me, and I don't know what started it, but I felt alone, like insatiably alone, mm. uh, an outcast. And I mean, <laughs> we could show photos like horrendous little looking child. Like, you know how some parents are like, look how cute my baby was. Yeah. Like mine were like, nah, she's kind of an ugly potato. Yeah. Like we knew this. Yeah. Uh, and so I remember one day I just never felt like I fit in. And my brother's name is Brad. And Brad's the cool kid. He's the jock. He's got the biceps. He's state wrestling champion. You know, he's academically sucked. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But like Brad's the cool kid. Right. Um, and I remembered crying because Brad rhymed with dad and brother rhymed with mother. Mm. And there weren't kids like me in school with all of these health issues. And there certainly weren't some that, and I, I could crush it in creative writing because I'd taken the class for four years, right? And so I just remembered crying like I will never fit in in this world. Oh my gosh, I'm made emotional. We will cry today, by the way. And uh, I'm sure. <laughs> so I remembered crying to my dad about it and being like, brother rhymes with mother, Brad rhymes with dad. I don't fit in. I don't fit in at school. Is there ever going to be a place for me? And my dad looked at me in the way that only a father can do. And he goes, yeah, but Clint rhymes with win. Oh. He's like, and that's what they all think your name is anyways. Oh, really? Because Kaylin, it looks oh, like Clint. Yay, that's amazing. And he goes, so your job isn't to be liked, it's to win. I love that. You know the premise of this podcast, right? No. We were all born to win. <laughs> That's the, that's the, that is the premise of the show. We were all born to win. You're welcome. How crazy. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh yep. my gosh. That's amazing. Yep. And that changed the game for me. I remember thinking like, why, it. why try to fit in when you're born to stand out? Like, and that, that just clicked for me. How did he come up with that? Did he come up with it on the fly? Backwoods hillbilly logic, JD. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody thought your name was Clint? Yeah, and I was never around enough to tell them it's Kay Lynn. Yeah. And so it was like, I don't fit in. Like, everyone always calls me Clint. They can't even call me by the right name. Like, just. Oh, my yeah. God. That is amazing. So that was, I remember that one. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That, that, so, that's so how, what else do you need, right? Like, as a kid. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about mom? How was mom? Uh... My mom was a force. She was a force. Yeah. Okay, tell me about it. So picture this, I'm 5'5". Five five. Yep. My mom is 4'11 on a tall day. Oh my gosh. And my family grew up in really bad environments. And I remembered my mom took a night, uh, a night job third shift because the hospital I was at was 120 miles away. Wow. Uh, so that way she could be there for Brad to drop him off at school and then take a nap and then go visit me in the hospital during the day, drive 120 miles back to pick up Brad from school, and then work third shift. That's how far the hospital was? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I remember my dad would be so busy working to pay the medical bills, obviously, and 
I would watch my mom negotiate with medical billing companies like during the day or like when she was in my hospital room, like going to bat for it. And just like, my mom is a force. She's, she's the most, I could cry. She's the most amazing human I've ever met. Oh, and she managed to teach Sunday school. Are you serious? You have a terminally ill daughter. You're working third shift. You're there to pick up your son every day and drop him off at school. And then on Sundays, when you're not doing all of that, you're dedicating your life to others. Wow. Are you serious? Like, that's what I came from. Wow. They showed you. She showed you. It's not all talk. That's right. She didn't just talk about it. She was about it. Mm -hmm. That's See, that, ladies and gentlemen... You can talk all you want to your kids. You can say this, you can say that, tell them to do this and tell them to that. But let me tell you, they're only going to do what you actually do. Yeah. And if you are leaving, leading a bold life, courageous life, one which where you set the best example possible for your children, yeah. this is a perfect story for that. That's what they're going to follow. Yeah. Right? Talk yeah. is cheap. Yeah. That's incredible. I love that. All right, so give it to me. Later into grade school, high school, anything, what's any, give me some, um, any monumental moments that you can remember in high school, like when you're going to graduate, did you want to go to college? Any yeah. aspirations there? I watched my papa go from the world's worst abject poverty you can experience in rural Iowa, right? Uh, to at one point we had like a six bedroom house, five bathrooms boats like an amazing mansion in iowa which yeah. in san diego is basically like four thousand yeah. or four million dollars oh, but yeah, for yeah. iowa it was like i looked it up the other day it was like 150 grand but like in our yeah. in iowa we made it right uh from nothing and so that was a really encouraging thing and so i always remember he would uh, bring selling power magazines to the hospital right and he would always read me sales books like i didn't get cinderella right <laughs> uh and so for me when i graduated high school uh, the only option was sales because I wanted to go to college. But hint, if you don't think you're going to live long enough to yeah. pay off the student loan debt, because like my family wasn't wealthy by any means, right. you know, looking back. But when we had that nice house, it was like, ooh, who yeah. are the rich kids in town? Uh, and so I knew that if I wanted to go to college, I had to be really good at one thing and one thing only, and that was sales. And so I actually told you yeah. uh, before this started, <laughs> I worked for a mattress company, Unbelievable. crushed it, and that helped me afford to go to college. Uh, so I had a 4.0 GPA, uh, go me, super proud. And uh, problem is you got to take a lot of science classes yes. now and now it's yeah, you could get out of those. Butt. Um, oh, I did. Uh, you did? I, come on, now I learned sales. Yes. Uh, so I got out of those, but I was at Iowa State and I didn't have the money to uh, live on campus. So I lived off campus. But the problem is, is think of the, you just got to picture this. And I, I write about this extensively in my book. Uh, the backpack weighs, what, 10, 15 pounds, At least. right? You've got about 60% lung function. Uh, so you've got to carry this, and you've got to go to the bus stop. And you walk a mile to the bus stop. At this point, I'm out of lung function for the day. And I remembered it was, I had some big test. I forget what it was. And when you go from winter in Iowa to into the college classroom, all of the heaters are on. Well, that extreme temperature variance would make me cough. So I'd miss the first 20 minutes of class because nobody wants the chick who's coughing in the back to disturb the rest of the students. Right. So I'd have to go stand in the hall, finish coughing to come in. I would miss most of the lecture because my lungs were physically not strong enough. Wow. And at this point, my mom and I actually got tattoos together because uh, the doctors were like, you know, this is, this is when you start 
recognizing your daughter has already outlived most other patients. You have to consider quality of life. And I got a tattoo, and uh, that was like my first like moment of finding my own power. And I remember thinking, if the doctors are right, and I've only got a few years left, and that's a super loose term because like they didn't say I was end stage at that point. Uh, hint at that point. I remember thinking, why am I working so hard in college? And I, that spring break, I walked to the admissions office and said, I would like to drop out. And I didn't tell anybody I was doing this. 4.0 GPA. Uh, and they, they were like, are you sure this is something you want to do? And I was like, yeah. And I packed up my Camaro. I had a Camaro. And I packed it up with everything in my off-suite dorm. And I just drove straight through to Orlando, Florida, because the thought was, I don't even like Disney, but if I'm going to die, I should do it at the happiest place on earth. And then I cold called myself into a couple of companies and got hired. And that was really the start of me trying to shift out of that mindset. Because yeah. like, they didn't say, you know, you got 10 years, you got five years. Like they didn't, back then they weren't saying it like that, but they were like, college is really hard on you. Like if you want to extend your life, you might want to consider other options. And for me, I was like, okay, I'm done. And just ripped the bandaid off. And, and you didn't tell your parents this? Well, they found out like that day. <laughs> yeah. And they supported it. They supported it. My parents didn't go to college. Like, yeah. so like it was a pipe dream anyways. Um, but I just remember thinking like, I cannot spend two to three years walking these same halls, sitting outside the class, coughing in the hopes that I'll graduate and one day get a good job. Like, I don't have the beauty of waiting till one day. Right. So, like, if I'm going to get a good job, I got to do it now. And that was a huge shift for me. That is, so, this is so powerful <laughs> on so many levels. Thank you. Because, I'll say this, college is getting to the point where it's obsolete and it's not the route to go. It's not the number one route to go anymore. I don't think so. And I'm being kind, actually. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It worked back in the day, industrial age, get a good job, safe, secure, corporate. But listen, we're not there anymore. We're, no. we're so far into the information age that if you're not looking for ways to start a business or like with a, you can do it with a cell, you can make millions of dollars with a cell phone. And yeah. not, it's not all about money, but I'm thinking about, like you just said, happiness. Yeah. Like you were just, you were going to go, hopefully get an, an educate a, a degree. Yeah. Coughing half the class, struggling, yeah. battling, which frankly could have been it for you. Well, there's a difference between education and knowledge, right? Yeah. And so that was it for me. And I remembered you wake up, it's like 4.30 a.m. It takes me an hour and a half to do my morning medications. Then you walk to the bus stop, you pray that it's not too cold um, because then it's going to spiral your lungs out of control. You finally get on that dang bus that's the heated vented system. You arrive at class. Now you have to walk even further. If you put the wrong book bag or the wrong book in your book bag, or heaven forbid, you forget your medications, because uh, I have to take medications every time I eat still to this day. So what if I forgot my medications for my food? Well, now I'm going to have a stomach ache for the entire day or the next day, you know, all the disgusting things that happen when your stomach's not working. And then the heating system, like outside the classroom, you are literally coughing the entire time. No student wants to be friends with you because they don't understand what's this weird chick doing coughing. The professors are annoyed that you miss half the class. And I just remember being like, I, and, and, and in the time I didn't quite know what it meant, 
But I remember being like, this cannot be the story I want to tell. Right. Like, what am I doing this for? God. And I, there was a day I did all of my medications. I packed it perfectly. I got the book bag in check. And I walked to the stupid bus stop and it's snowing and it's cold. And the bus never came because by the time I was able to get out the door early enough to walk to the bus stop, they canceled school because of the storm. And I was like, what is going on? And it was just a moment where I was like, this can't be the journey. This, this cannot be what's destined for me. And it was very quick, like, hey, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> How old are you at this point? 19, 18? 19, probably 20. God, crazy. Yeah. And so you just, you didn't tell your parents you were going to do it prior Right, you didn't like you were opting out of no, school. No, because I didn't. I, I once read, and correct me if I'm wrong, or if this doesn't fit in your belief structure. I once read that, like, if you're going to do something good, and you're going to do something bold, and you're going to do something that will dramatically alter the trajectory of your life, keep it to yourself, mm. because the second you open it up to someone else, they can poke holes in right. it. And I knew if I told my parents this, that they might potentially poke holes in it. And because I placate, I, I want everyone to have an amazing experience in life. Uh, I, I didn't want to open anybody else up to my choices or to judge my choices so I would live the life that others expected of me versus what I knew in my soul was right. And so I didn't tell anybody because like, I had to go through that choice for me and then deal with the backlash, uh, which there wasn't any. Right. So like this yeah. entire time, it was like my parents actually really supported it. Uh, but like, I didn't want to open myself up to that reality because people are going to tell you stay in college, but I couldn't do it. Wow. I love that. I love that. It's another great lesson right there. Yeah. Seriously. Cause people go their entire, so many people, 90, like it's 97% of people are literally just walking through life mm -hmm. the way that they're supposed to, the way they're told to with the way we're programmed to, you know what I mean? To get, get the job, go to school, blah, blah, blah. They're just walking around like zombies yeah. until they die. Well, and so in my seminars and stuff, there's a slide that I shared, Dr. Bronnie Ray, and please don't quote, like look it up guys. Um, but this chick worked in the hospice and palliative care and she wanted to interview people on their deathbed and say, wow. hey, what were your top five regrets? And so there's top five regrets of the dying. And one for me, was that I wish I would have had a courage to live a life true to myself versus what others expect of me. And that was my courage story, lack of better words, because uh, I, I had to go through it that, knowing or in my head perceiving that other people wouldn't support that decision. And that's one of the top five regrets of the dying. And it's, it's, it's literally number one for like, everybody's living through the eyes of their peers. Yeah. Right, yeah. the way they're supposed to be the way they're seen because they're so worried about being accepted, yeah. being liked, right? Being, it's yeah. crazy, mm -hmm. isn't it? Look at, look at your situation here because of what you were born with, you know, you're just a live, you're a living testament to, you know, making, if you're going to do, make a decision, live yeah. your life. Yeah. Cause it's a one shot deal. This yeah. go round right here is the one shot deal yeah. where we go in eternity is another question or another thing, another trip, another journey, I should yeah. say. But this right now is, is so ugh, this is incredible. Well, think of it like a video game, right? Like, I, I love your Instagram. Your children just like give me life. Uh, you're playing a video game with your kids, right? The third, you know, you get three lives. Third one, you're having fun. Second one, you are gripping that controller. First one, you're about to knock your kid off if they win and beat you because yeah. you're down to one life. 
imagine if we actually lived with the realization that we have that one life. You know, we're living like we've got three. Right. What you're, happens you're, when we have one? Like so we're true. gripping, like white knuckling that controller. And then. When you're down to your last one. Yeah. First one, it's just there's no worries because yeah, you know you fine. got two more. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's so wild that we It's so that. wild. Mm-hmm. And look at the clocks ticking. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you're 34 now. All right. So yeah. hold on. <laughs> go back. You went to Orlando. What made you go to Orlando? I don't even like but Disney. It was close to Disneyland. Yeah. I, but I didn't like Disney. I just wanted to be in the happiest place on earth in case I died. Oh my gosh. And so how, where did that career, like how did that uh, um, develop? Yeah. There? So this is actually really funny. So remember, the only thing at this point in my life I have figured out is I like language and I like sales. Outside of that, kind of a lost cause. And I find a job. I decide I want to be rich, too, because, you know, the more money, less problems. Uh, Of course. (laughs) The rapper got it wrong. Uh, (laughs) So I go to uh, Charles Schwab, actually, and I say, you guys got to hire me. And so I am now studying to be an options trader, my series seven, my nine, my ten, because I can study. But have you caught the problem? I'm not good at math. I didn't take math. Why am I going to be an options trader? And so my boss has me in his office every three weeks, rightfully so, by the way. So if you're a Charles Schwab fan, still a fan for life, uh, and my boss was just way too smart. And he goes, listen, options trading might not be for you. Do you mind if you start looking for your replacement? And I said, sure. And he goes, by the way, there's a $1,400 bonus in our HR department, if you can recruit top talent. And I say, wait a second, if I recruit my replacement, I make more money than if I'm sitting here studying for my nine and 10. And he's like, well, we don't typically advertise it like that. And I go, well, what do I gotta do? And he goes, just recruit people. So I convinced the coolest girls in Charles Schwab to put on business blazers and we go downtown to what's called Wind Down Wednesday. And all we do is start handing out our cards to anybody who will talk to us. And we hit every recruiting record for that branch. And I made more money in about three weeks recruiting than I ever did as a trader. And so I'm thinking, if only this was a career. (laughs) Turns out it is. It is. It's a pretty big one. And so I wind up about four blocks away sitting outside a recruiting office because I found of all people, JD, I found a janitor who cleans out the trash cans of this recruiting office. And on a Friday night, he saw a pay stub and he tells me about it like, yeah, recruiters, look at this pay stub. And like, this is so illegal. Wow. And I go, I have to be a recruiter. So that Monday, I'm sitting in the office and they go, well, we don't hire anyone without a four-year degree. And I go, yeah, until they don't make quota. And I sit down and I go, I will be here every day until one of your top producers can't make quota. (laughs) Tell me you ain't hiring me. And so I got a job as a recruiter, fast forward a ton, uh, went from temp recruiting to perm recruiting to the company's lead head recruiter so my job was to recruit salespeople and train them how to become recruiters to recruit more salespeople oh my gosh and then they put me in charge of the medical division which hint fun fact how easy do you think it was for me as a recruiter to recruit nurses from the hospital wow gold mine yes and so that started my love for recruiting no way yep so i bought my first house at 22 you're kidding me nope was it in orlando yeah no way all yep. right keep going that was the dream wow uh, well, the dream was, you know, on the outside it was rosy, but on the inside, my lungs are getting full. Yeah. There's no other way around that. And the coworkers complained a lot about my cough. And so they moved me to a corner office, not because I was amazing, but because what do we do about this HR nightmare? Yeah. 
Uh, she's crushing it. She's a top producer, but like very disruptive, not intentionally, but the coughing. And so I had a full-time nurse that would come out to my office. We had the IV drips in my corner office, all of my nebulizers, all of my machines. And I would just sit there and I'd infuse throughout the day while I was making cold calls because you don't need to get up a lot if you got your private office with a bathroom. Yeah. And so I would just like make all of my cold calls from there with the nasal cannula. Nobody knew any different than when I get hospitalized. They'd put me in charge of the nurses division. And it was a really sweet system until it wasn't. And I think one of those years, probably by the time I was 24, they put me in charge of the West Coast division. And I remember I started making really bad choices, which mm -hmm. is a hard thing to say publicly, but yeah. let's own it. And my life became about, I don't want to say about partying, but like I knew everybody because the more people you recruit, the bigger your paycheck was. Right. And so my life became really, really about partying. And I loved McDonald's because remember, I can't digest food. So I thought that was nutritionally valid because get a thousand calories for six bucks. Why not? And so I couldn't put on weight. So I was just binge eating McDonald's. And I remember it was a stressful night. And I cared so much about the commission checks because, hello, that's amazing. Yeah. And I would just skip my treatments for getting the opportunity to take one more cold call, right? Do one more, one more demo, whatever that was. And one night I was driving through the fast food lane at a McDonald's and I felt the all too familiar tickle, which is basically, mm. I'm going to cough. And I remembered being like, I need a napkin, I need a napkin. And the lady just confused. I just snatched my to-go bag and I grabbed the napkin and I start coughing. And I looked down because, you know, we look at our stuff when it comes out. Uh, maybe not you. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked down and it was blood. Mm. And I drove to the ER and that night was probably the hardest night of my life. My lung function test was finished and it came out as 38%. Oof. It was down to 38%. And the doctor walked out and said, you've had a good run. And then I, I, I lovingly say my least favorite person in the world comes in. And it was the healthcare social worker. And she goes, this is getting to be end stage. I think you need to file for social security disability. And I did. And so I think I was around 24, 25, lost the house lost the car, lost the career, decided to move to San Diego. I had a recruiting opportunity out here that was under the table and was down to $1,400 a month, legally 100% disabled. That was the darkest day. And this was in the hospital in Orlando. Yep. What about, what'd your parents say to this? Same thing. I mean, same thing any parent would say when they're, kid was born with a terminal illness we're proud of you you've succeeded in every aspect of your life but this is what happens to laura this is what happened to heather this is this is just what happens but like look how far you made it and i remember i visited my parents lived in texas at the time i remember i went to six flags and my dad who's the strongest man i know didn't realize how bad I had gotten. And he noticed I couldn't walk up the stairs. And so his only solution was to go to CVS and get one of those wheelchairs that, you know, with the tennis balls on the end. Yeah. Uh, you know, not like a legit wheelchair at this point. 
Uh, like a walker. Yeah, like a walker. Thank you. Uh, it was red, <laughs> cherry red. Yeah. And my mom put stickers on it because uh, I'm still a toddler. And they were like, we're going to Six Flags. And dad put me in my walker. And even though it's not a wheelchair, like I just sat in it and he pushed me around Six Flags for the day. Wow. What made you decide San Diego? I didn't have options. Uh, recruiting. I, so I started convincing uh, people out here to let me, there was a West Coast division of an East Coast biotech and pharmaceutical recruiting firm. And the thing is, when you're good at recruiting, you know how to interview. You don't know how to actually do the job because you're going to be too sick. So I could always get hired. I just couldn't really keep the stuff at that point. Uh, and so they brought me out here, paid for the relocation. Uh, and I worked off Amazon gift cards because uh, you can legally only make 1400 a month when you're disabled. So I worked off Amazon gift cards doing recruiting for this company. And they needed a biotech division out here. And you were you were you filed for Social Security? Hundred percent. Wow! My gosh! Lost it all. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Now partying. Mm-hmm. What? How often were you partying back in the Orlando prior to the? I mean, I feel like it was just weekends, yeah. but like because I was so focused on my career, like so it was always you know wind down Wednesdays to recruit the, yep. the sales reps, and then. I feel like every weekend it was a thing, but I, I convinced myself it was okay. And I, I did that because I would party all night Friday night, I would party all night Saturday night. Girlfriends and I met at IHOP on Sunday to make sure we all got home okay or whatever. And then I would always, after breakfast at IHOP, I would always go through the Chick-fil-A, um, not on Sundays, of course, but um, Chick-fil-A or Chick-like filet yeah, thing, some, yeah. some type of fried chicken. And I'd then go to my own office, right, my corner office, and I would just make cold calls on Sunday because, hint, don't have to deal with gatekeepers on Sundays. You get automatically pushed through their voicemails on the auto dialers. Yeah. So I would do 100, 200 cold calls on a Sunday knowing nobody would answer because it's time management, call off on Monday, and then Tuesday I'd get all those calls returned. So that became my system. Uh, and so I would say I would party most every weekend and then Wednesday nights. And partying, just drinking and drugs? Yeah, just drinking. I, I didn't do drugs. Uh, no, are you kidding me? Not with my... <laughs> I was going to say. Drugs terrify me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but it was mostly like beer, vodka, like that type of thing. And then I, I, I would say it was okay because like I'd get to go dancing at night. Mm. Uh, and dancing's exercise, right? But yeah. it's funny how you can lie to yourself uh, to avoid the truth. And so that was part of mine. And of course, you know, these clubs back then weren't smoke-free. So right. hint, doesn't matter how much you dance if you're in a smoky room. Like, not That's the true. greatest ideas. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's not that it was, I'd say it was pretty out of hand, but it was also like you combine that with, like, everything was fast food. I was told you should only be eating carbs to keep the weight on. Uh, I didn't, I hated vegetables. I didn't like salads. Like, a good meal for me would be, like, French toast with cheesy hash browns on the side and then coffee with all the sugar. Somehow it's diehard. Oh, die my hard. gosh. <laughs> yeah. So no wonder I coughed up blood. Like, right. come on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'd like to say, like, oh, the disease got progressively worse. Did the disease or did I? Yeah. Interesting. And so I don't know. So when you got out here, um, where were your, pa- were your parents still in Idaho? Um, they moved around a ton. So it went, I think, for them, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Texas. Oh, Iowa. What did I say? Idaho? Tennessee. Yeah. I was thinking of uh, no. Pastor Colin that just moved to... Our death no. is moving. Anyway. Corn, not potatoes. Yeah. All right. So San Diego, what, what happened when you got here? More of the same. Uh, legally disabled. Yep. At this point, I'm spending about 150 days a year in the hospital. 
Uh, so there's not like a lot you can do outside of that. Uh, still doing recruiting, uh, but for Amazon gift cards or I'd go to companies and I'd just be like, hey, I've got this background as a recruiter, happy to help you out, cash donations only. Because uh, 1400 yeah. a month is really dark. And right. I would couch surf with random people off Craigslist because uh, you can't have stable housing because you need two times you know, your rent to right. yeah. get rent. And that's not legally trackable when you're legally disabled. Uh, so you just make some really interesting choices. Uh, <laughs> there are some interesting couches I'd rather never sleep on again. Yeah, And, like. you know, that's just... It was a dark few years. I leaned into Zumba. I, I had mentioned that story in the beginning. And I became a Zumba instructor knowing I couldn't even make it through my own class. But what can I do? I can get hired. Yeah. And nobody, no company, no employer wants that on your payroll that you hire somebody you're going to fire who's terminally ill. So rather than get angry with me or fire me, I would just say, hey, write me a rec letter for the next place. And that's how everyone just washed their hands of it. And so I'd get hired at the next place. And then they'd realize, like, what did we accidentally do? She has all this experience, but it's because she can't get through her own Zumba class. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I'm taking that 25 an hour. Like, you know what I mean? I'm looking for tip money on the side. Uh, and so that was really a really dark few years in San Diego. And th this is now, <clears throat> this is your 24, 25. Yeah. And so when we met you at Hardcore Fitness, what was happening at that point? This was that point. This was that point? That's why I was on uh, scholarship at Hardcore Fitness. No way. Yeah, yeah. All right, so how did you get into writing a book? When did that happen? Because this wasn't that far after there. No, this yeah. is, yeah, wow, wow. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I've never really looked at my life chronologically like this. This is insanely yeah. therapeutic. Yes. And I remember, yeah, we had met. And the book wasn't out at that point. And right. so I just kind of hit the end, right? Like I'm sitting around waiting to yeah, die. Give me your thought process. Yeah. Here. Give, me, give me the thought process of when they said, that's it. Nice. You made a nice run. Yeah. You've had a good, good run. Uh, you've lived longer than most have. Uh, congratulations. Be poor. And <laughs> yeah. I just remember thinking like, yeah, I think this is it, you know? So like get on scholarship, try to extend it, but like there's not a lot of hope left, really, for lack of better words. And I just did everything I could to stay fit. I remember one time I needed medication, but I couldn't get the insurance passed through. So I took my dog to the vet uh, and said the dog was really sick. So I got antibiotics, so I could take the dog's medication. Like it got that dire. And I don't even remember. Like, it's so weird when you look back at your own life. Yeah. And there was there had to have been like a flash of inspiration where it was like, okay, write your book. And I remember actually, I finished it from literally the hospital and I wanted to record it in a place like this, a good audible version, but I did not, JD, go everybody right now. I'm not saying this to like blow up my paycheck. Like it's a book on audible but you can hear me struggling to breathe. And I remember the editor was like, I don't think Audible will accept this because you sound so like you're struggling to, to breathe because you are, uh, that I don't think anyone will ever buy it. And I remembered saying like, nope, I need you guys to hear what end stage cystic fibrosis looks like even after it's been audio enhanced. And there's a few times I cough because I can't even get through reading my own book out loud. And the, the producer's like, I think you're making a mistake. And I was like, yeah, but I want my parents to hear this one day. 
And so like, that's where we were, you know, in that, that time of meeting. Uh, and it was, it was wild. Yeah. And, and so were your parents helping you out at all at this point financially? Where, how were they doing? I know they did, yeah. but to the extent I don't know, cause I lied a lot. I yeah. didn't want them to know how sick I got. Uh, okay. Uh, the hardest phone call you're ever going to make is telling your mom and dad that like they tried, but there's nothing left, you know? So like, I didn't want to have the goodbye call with my parents. Uh, I wanted it to be the book, right? And I don't think they knew if they listened to this, I don't think they knew how dark it got. I think parents, you know, they have instincts so they can tell when their little girl's not okay. But when the little girl's a stubborn mule yeah. <laughs> and won't admit to it, I think there was a depth there that I certainly wasn't asking for help because I didn't want anyone to know how weak I was really getting. Well, mm-hmm. you had no idea, right? And no, like none. we worked out Zero. every single week together. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I think that that was a really interesting turning point for me. Now, side note, there's a drug that was coming to the market. And so I knew for a fact, all I had to do was live long enough to get this drug. Mm. That was it. If I could live long enough, there's a chance. But we don't know when this drug is coming out. And so. And so, um, did the drug come out? It did. And paperwork after paperwork after paperwork after paperwork, I kept getting denied. Because at this point, you had to be clinically stable. I was Uh. not clinically stable. Because nobody wants somebody to die while on the drug while it's still in those phases. Because if so, then they've ruined their case study and their potential grants for the drug to come to market. Uh, and so it was actually a really interesting story. Uh, and it took place around October 2019, which I think I told you a little bit about that date earlier. So yes. we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the time, I was kind of by myself a lot. And I didn't have a lot going on on weekends because you can't afford anything. And I met a girl at a business meetup. I still belong to business meetups. I don't even have a business anymore, but I'm like, let's go. (laughs) Maybe someone there will be nice. Uh, And I'll never forget it. She was a super Christian and just, I kind of had to roll my eyes a little because I was like, okay, of course you are. But I said I was not doing anything that weekend. I didn't have a lot of money, even though I'm in a business event. And she goes, well, come to church with me. And this was October, 2019. And I remember looking around being like, I don't have anything else going on this weekend. Sure, I'll go. And at this point, my lung function was about 35%, constantly on, ox- on oxygen. I think that year, 2019, probably about 164 days that year in the hospital. Wow. Uh, just, just like so dark, man. So when, did dark. Your, when did your book come out? You'd think I'd know this. Uh, 2018. So 18, the book came out. Were you thinking that this book was, be be frank here, like this was going to be your your memoir? Oh, totally. Like that you're going to leave behind? Yeah, that was it. That's pretty much what you figured. That was it, yeah. This was it? Yeah. Were you going to put it all out there? Yep. And what's the premise of the book? Uh, It's called- Your life. Yeah, it's my life with a little bit of mental acuity, uh, emotional intelligence, and- hint of business side and what's the name of it i am the untold story of success got it I remember yeah that now. i remember being at the uh you ra- were at the launch party we at the launch party yeah yeah so that was we barely knew you nope uh but you still showed up we did yeah we did and i remember being like 
these really cool people from my gym are here. Like it was yeah. such a wild, yeah. I remember that. I'll never forget it. I can actually visualize the whole scene when we were there. I, it, mm. Something called us to do it. I said, we got to go to this. You know, it's funny. Uh, many book parties, the authors give out the books for free. Yeah. But I don't know if you remember at mine, I couldn't afford to do that because yeah. I couldn't even afford to buy my own book. And you and Rachel actually placed the biggest order that night. We did? Yep. So that's where you were called to be there. Oh like, my gosh. You literally put food on my table that week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot about that until just now. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I'll yeah. never forget it. And I just, and we barely knew you. Yeah. But I remember you extending the invite and I said, baby, we got to go to this. She goes, all right, let's do it. Oh my goodness. And I remember sending the money to somebody or I don't remember where yeah. it was for the book. I'm like, yeah, we'll pay for this. We're down. Yeah. We're in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Wow. All right. So the book, now we got to... Where were we? Sorry, I went. I backtracked a little no, bit. No, that's right. Because to I talk totally the forgot. Book. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> so nineteen. Oh, she says, uh, "Do you want to go to church?" Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go to church? Yeah. No, I don't want to go to church, but I got what, nothing what else your, to do. What was your faith at that point? Uh, I would almost say, I, I, I use the word agnostic because okay. I'm scared about the other word. Yeah. Uh, but agnostic with a hint of atheism, which is interesting for. Um, get it. mom who teaches Sunday school. Uh, yeah. You know, my, 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 mom, my mom teaches Sunday school. Yeah. So, but like, I looked around my life and I was like, I don't have a lot else going on. And she's being nice to me. Like, it was that simple of a conversation. Like, she didn't seem to care that I was coughing. She didn't seem to care about a lot of things. And at this point, I had gotten on one of these super medications, right? Yeah. But it wasn't really working for me. So 1800 mutations, this is, it's called a genetic modulator. So we don't know if it's going to work. We don't know really, but we know it's going to mess with your genes. And at this point, the goal is just see how good your lungs could get. So I probably got close to 50% at this time. Uh, And, you know, you could check out the numbers. It it oscillates. So it's not like 50% every day. Some days are 70, some days are 40, who cares? And... This, the, the miracle drug wasn't really the miracle it was taught to be. And I remember I got on uh, NBC, no, backtrack, delete, please hold. And I remembered I started to put the paperwork through because there was an updated model of this allegedly miracle drug to get on. Yeah. But at this point, I had what's called antibiotic resistance, meaning if you have 70 hospitalizations, at some point, the antibiotics don't work, bro. So, (laughs) uh, and this is where it was like, okay, we've tried everything, the miracle drugs, not the thing. And I started looking into something called phage therapy, which which essentially came out of World War II sewer systems. And they inject this little virus that looks like a little spider with a diamond head, uh, phage. And there's a clinic in Romania where they could experimentally inject me with this to see if it would prolong my life because the thought is it is it'll eat the viruses and the bacteria that live inside my lungs. And so that's where I was at roughly October 2019. Okay. Uh, full antibiotic resistance. The book had already come out. Um, or the book was, yeah, the book had already come out. Full antibiotic resistance. Considering flying to Romania to get phages injected, totally experimental. Yeah. Uh, the miracle drug wasn't really working. Still getting hospitalized probably four months a year at this time. Uh, no career at all except, you know, hawking recruiting services for Amazon gift cards, like about as dark as it could get. Really no friends. And she goes, you want to go to church? Yeah, I'm down to like, whatever. Let's see what we can do. You know, and I kind of made fun of it, you know, and I'm not proud of that looking back. 
but I remember just walking in and well you do the thing when you're new uh, you don't follow what the team says and they tell you where to park your car like flash your lights if you're new like no bro I am not flashing my lights I am hiding in the back I will probably catch on fire like they're gonna be on to me and then the problem though is she I didn't realize how popular she was and so like just by being there by association I was like Everybody oh this her. sucks Every, yeah this sucks and like you know you, you wear the dress like because you got to yeah. look a certain way if you're going to church for goodness sakes I didn't realize you could actually be yourself and <laughs> I could not hide and then the second time I go this is so funny JD second time I go I was like so hold on hold on this is yeah yeah give me the this first is, time this is funny no, break the, down the first time what, yeah it what, was horrible <laughs> like the church was, was amazing so out of your, you were so out of your comfort zone so out of my comfort zone like how did she have to know everybody and it was the 10 o'clock which we go to the same church, yeah. like which we didn't know that until like six months ago that we go to the same place. Yeah. By the way, guys, it's Awakened Church. Yeah. Which is just crazy because I had no idea. Wild. None. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. this was the ten o'clock. Which if you go to Awaken, you know the ten o'clock's pretty popping. Like that's oh, yeah. the most popular Pop one. And so if she knows everybody at the ten o'clock, the second time I went mid October twenty nineteen <laughs> to get out of. Did, did she? Did she invite you back? What happened? Yeah, but, you know, of course I was busy that day. Yeah. And I don't quite remember what I was busy with. And I was also trying to really fight with these medical companies to yeah. get on the new version yeah. of this drug. Uh, the one that supposedly, allegedly halts the progression, blah, blah, blah. We've been here before. Like, we know what end stage is. Right. And so I get this great idea. All right, this chick's popular. She goes to the 10. I'm going to go to the 8. Yeah. yeah. So I go to the 8. And I by yourself by myself because I can sneak in by myself. So, so what made you go back? I didn't want to watch football. <laughs> you want to watch football? I didn't want to go to Guava Beach, uh, and and watch football. Guava Beach is down in, in PB. It is mission. Yeah. That's where everybody goes That's on so Sunday. Funny. I didn't want to sit in a hop. Like I just wanted to avoid football. That place is still open. Yeah, yeah. Dude, let me tell you something. Did you go there? No. <laughs> When I first moved to San Diego 31 years ago, Mission Beach, I lived on Lido Court. My yep. freaking roommate, he lived at Guava Beach. Literally lived there? L literally lived, meaning he drank the there like, no, he drank there like every oh. night. Yeah, that's what That that's was his thing. And I just drove down there the other day. I was, we did it. We put matches in a house right down the street. And I remember going, I wonder if Guava Beach is still here. Oh, it is. Yeah. Are you kidding me? At least in 2019. Oh my! All I was right, just trying to right. avoid it, and, and it's a great place, by the way. Good <clears throat> yeah. food, oh, nice yeah. service. Oh, it was killer. But like, uh, there was no AC, and I just I don't like sports. Like, it's not for me. All right. So what? What about the first visit though? Made you want to go other than avoiding football? I, I I honestly, this is weird. Like sometimes we can't. How articulate. many weeks after? What do you mean? How many weeks? It's the after? first visit. The very next week. It was the very next week. Yeah, I just wanted to get out. Like I didn't want to watch sports on yeah. Sunday yeah. Uh, with my friends, and so here's the where the plan falls apart. JD, okay. give it to me. Proud agnostic slash atheist. So, aka probably more eight. atheist. She was there yeah. at the eight. Yeah, and so I'm there at the eight to hide. Well, if you know anything about awaken, there is no eight. It's an eight thirty. Oh yeah. So God doing the God thing shows up, and. I walk in at eight o'clock ready to hide in the back, but the only thing that's open are the lobby doors and it's where the frickin' high team meets. <laughs> Second time, quick, try to hide from the high team. You can't no, do it. No. And they're like, are you on the team? And I go, 
now I'm new here. And I was like, what time does this show start? Like I was that yeah. bad. And uh, they go, well, not for another half hour. Why don't you join us today? And I was like, I'm just going to go hang out in my car. And they're like, no, you're not. And I remember it was Erin Elise, uh, <laughs> you know, now Jeff's wife. Uh, and she's like, yeah, just come pray with us. And I was like, I think I'll just stand, you know, by Are myself. Are you kidding me? No, I accidentally showed up when the high team meets. They <laughs> said, just come pray with us? And I got invited to their inner circle. And I just remembered, I, I don't even remember what I said, probably something sarcastic with a curse word in it. And she goes, that's okay. God's still got a plan for you. Oh my God, this is unbelievable. And I'm sitting there like, wow. So they just pulled you right in. So no, 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 come pray with us. Yeah. They're like, we're the high team. Like, this is what we do. And I was like, I I don't want to, I just, I just don't. It couldn't have been worse for you. It was mortifying. 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 (laughs) Because the high team's all fired up, man. They're they they're are. like, hey, they got their cards, they're, they're handing them out. They're walking out with the Bibles the and Bible. like everything that terrifies me about church. <laughs> and you get, like, I, I went there at eight to hide. Yeah. Not to be high. Not to be involved in the high team. <laughs> Kill me. Uh, which, oopsie daisies. Yeah. And so, anyways, I'm in prayer group with the high okay. team. Yeah. Yeah. The prayer and, group. Yeah, like of all the things to do. And so then the service starts. And naturally, what happens when you know the high team and they know you're new? What do they do? They oh, yeah. T- they make it was spectacle. worse than the 10. It, it was, was worse, worse than, than the 10. 10. <laughs> like, don't go if you're trying to hide. Like, you cannot hide. Yeah. And sure enough, even they when they said, down. who's new here today? You didn't raise your hand. They Not knew. a chance. They already knew. No, they were already giving me the coffees. I didn't even have to raise my hand. They were like, we want you. Yeah. <laughs> And meanwhile, I've got the struggle with my health. Like the insurance company denies, denies, denies. I'm too sick for the drug. Then it comes out, JD, JD, guess how much this drug costs a year? A year? A year. I'm going to say ten to $20,000 a year. I wish. 319000 a year. To take this drug? I'm legally disabled at this point. Wow. JD, quick, can I afford this drug? No. Can can even if Nobody. we were best friends, could you afford this drug for no. me? Uh-uh. No, you're going to like, <laughs> good luck, girl. Wow, and and obviously insurance will not cover that. Not the insurance nope. I was on. Nope. Nope. Especially I was too sick. It's a risk if I die while on this drug, yeah. and insurance covers it. Well, now they need to legally disclose that somebody did die from this drug. Right. They don't want to. They don't want to have that on the it's record. A case of one versus many, and I am not at fault. By the way, I, I totally respect that decision because yeah. I wouldn't want you know those who do qualify for the drug to not be able to get it because of me. Because I was reckless trying to get on it, right? Got it. So in a way, it's sure self-martyring, but in a way, it's like, well, at least I can say I went to church before I passed. Like, mom will be proud. You know, just like one of those things to check off the list. So I start cold calling on LinkedIn, literally anybody who will listen. And I go back a third week because at this point I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah. It's like a personal mission. So the second time though, what was, how are the messages or is anything hitting home for you when you listen to the messages? Like what, <laughs> what about the worship song? Anything? What? Give it to you me. You would ask this. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I remember thinking the pastors were hot. Like are it was serious? that bad. It was that bad. Uh, yeah. And let like, me gu- let me guess John Heinrichs. I mean, come on. Like, how is that a pastor, right? And Jurgen with the little accent, like. The accent with the hair. And their the, wives the little, are total babes. The, like, the blonde hair flip with <laughs> Jurgen. And like, they speak with power. Yeah. Like, what is this cult, right? Like, yeah, and this, that was in my mind. Yeah. 
you know, but I remember having a thought while I was driving home. How is that a pastor? Yeah, how is that a pastor? Like, all right, I'm (laughs) sure. And like, I just remember being like, their wives are babes, they're babes, everyone's fit. Like, the cars are really nice in the parking lot, you know? Like, this reminds me of my Orlando days. Uh, And I I just remember, I I don't remember the worship, I don't remember the message. I remember Jurgen making some joke, and then I was saved on a beach, you know? And like, I remember being like, what is saved? You know, and then they talked about like slaying. Uh, I, I just remember being like, oh, and there was a day when Jurgen, like my third visit, he starts speaking in tongues. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what I got into. Like, yeah. this is weird. <laughs> and I was looking at it from that atheist view. Like, this is why I don't go to church, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, what a bunch of psychos. Uh, but little did I know I was the psycho, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm trying to avoid going. But for some reason, there's this magnetic pull. And the third week I go. And I just remembered thinking, like, okay, God, if you're real, first of all, you know what to do. Like, I'm not going to pray to you and try to get you in my life. Like, just do the thing, right? Like, silly kid prayers almost. And I remembered something in that message said like it's not your time and it was according to the doctors according to the insurance companies according to end-stage cystic fibrosis according to all these things all of these decisions that were made that weren't my decision and i remember it was becky actually talking about like the supernatural power of miracles and i i don't know the guy's name um if I, if I saw him, I'd recognize him immediately. But he walked up with the Book of Miracles. And I was like, well, I kind of need one of those, like if I'm being brutally honest with you. Uh, and I just remembered it. And like, I was terrified to raise my hand because when you raise your hand, yes, they all they lean in. And, pray. and I'd never <clears throat> raise my hand because I'm trying to hide. So I'm not doing good at hiding. And I just kind of do the little like finger dance, like, please don't come around me. But like, I kind of need a miracle. Yeah. October 2019, November 2019, NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt randomly called me and said, we want to feature your story in the hopes that you get this drug. Within 24 hours after my little finger. (laughs) Oh my God. The drug was delivered at no cost for the rest of my life on the doorstep and approved for everybody in California who has my mutation. Are you kidding me? I've been hospitalized one time. Oh my gosh. Come on. I didn't know this. I know. So. Did the people come around and lay hands on you and everything? Oh, of course they did. It was mortifying. (laughs) I sweat still thinking about it. (laughs) But now like, I want to be one of those people who lay their hands on others. Oh my gosh. the whole concept wow. of it. And I just remembered being like, this was a miracle. Like, there's no chance that this, you know, and they say that God speaks through you in a language only you'll understand. That language wasn't the high team. That language for me wasn't, you know, the the free coffees or the Bible or the prayer response lounge or the worship music. That language was like, you need a miracle because you are end stage of end stage. You're at 30 lung function on a good day. You are IV resistant to every drug there is out there. Uh, 
you there's literally no more drugs and the only one you qualify for is 310,000 319,000 a year and ps insurance won't pay for it because you're legally disabled and they can't give you a drug for free if you're legally disabled and going to die soon does anybody awaken know the story no. oh god here we go <laughs> you you know more about me than <laughs> you're going to go from hiding it, it, like not even raising your hand to sharing this story on stage. You know that, right? You know that you're going to be now sharing this story on stage. You do know, correct? Yeah, it was actually a now that you're saying it, at Pathfinders. Now that you're saying it. <laughs> wait, where did you hear this at Pathfinders? So, I had no idea when I invited you to Pathfinders that you were even a, gone to Waken at all. Yeah, because I hide. I literally had no idea. <laughs> yeah, hey. And so here's where it gets even funnier. 2% of people, oh uh, the statistic and whatever website you want to do to prove this for you at home, uh, very few people get off being legally disabled, especially when they're end stage. But here's the thing. I was fully ready to die. I knew I was going to die. I kind of fingered my hand up there, terrified that people are going to touch me. Uh, and which, which, let me cut you real quick. Yeah. In the beginning at Awakened Service, after the worship music, somebody will come up with a business, with a, not business, with a book of miracle book where people will call into the church and people write into this book of miracles that they need in their life, whatever it is. Yeah. Obviously, you weren't in the book, but then they'll say, if there's anybody in the crowd right now who needs a miracle right now, raise your hand. And so if you raise your hand at that point, usually there's a couple throughout the crowd. Um, then people, everybody within that's around you will come over to you and either they'll, they'll reach their hand out yeah. towards you or they'll actually put their hands on you. And yeah. then, and then the, the pastor with the book of miracles in his hand will then do a prayer for the next two to three minutes and just fire away. And everybody will send all the Holy spirit will come through and it's the most incredible thing. Right. Yeah. And I've now been a part of so many of those of giving. Yeah. So I just want to paint that picture. People have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. And and there's ugh, there's somebody that that anyway. I'm not going to get too far in this. That I just I want him to get into this church more and more and get people's hands on them because he's at the point where there's no other um, let's say hope of medical that's going to help him. So I'm not going to go into that story right now. But that's where so, I was, Kaylin. <clears throat> this is insane. Oh, I know. I'm fully well aware. So within 24, Lester Holt. NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. How did he say that he got, did you say, how did you so find me? this is me? the weird thing, yeah. So this is so bizarre. But is it bizarre? No, now that we're no. li used to living in this space. And Yeah, miracles I mean, to us at this point. When an atheist goes into church, like this is a setup for a really good joke at some point. Uh, with an atheist goes into church and reluctantly holds up her like barely like, <laughs> please don't come near me, but like, I think this is called a Hail Mary. Like, yeah. I don't know what this is called, but like, do the thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, I remember looking down at my notebook and being like, God, if there's a point in my life, is there, if, if like, if I was born to die, I, I, I'm, I'm okay being born to die, you know, as long yeah. as like yeah. some good happened. But like, I don't think this should be end stage. And if God, like, if you truly want me to figure out if there's a purpose to my life besides being legally disabled and suffocating slowly from the inside out, do the thing and and then just the swarm 
And then uh, it, it was right away. It was well, like, can it you was, feel anything when people were <clears throat> like, oh, it's the most laying emotional. their hands on yeah. you? What, what, what did you feel during the prayer? Just an intense heat. Intense heat? Yeah. It was like a heat, the goosebumps, the like your throat gets caught in your throat type thing. Yeah. And I just remember the power in which you prayed. And like they had a line, um, we don't just pray for miracles, we depend on them in this church. And I go, well, sup. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it was about a month. I, I don't know the date that Lester Holt called. Of all things to call, he called my grandpa in Sumner, Iowa, like who didn't even know my phone number. Like I, I haven't, nothing wrong with my grandpa. I just don't talk to him as much, like different different worlds. Um, great guy, you know, but like so he's almost like a platonic friend. I don't know him that well. And he goes, hey, Kaylin, this guy's calling. He sounds pretty nice. And I was like, thanks, grandpa. And like, yeah, they actually flew out within, I got hospitalized right after that. So I never made it to the fourth service uh, that month in October. I got yeah. hospitalized. Yeah. And the NBC Nightly News team came out and they did an interview and I'm working out in the hospital. I'm doing decline pushups in my room. I'm trying to explain like why I need this drug, like put faith in me. And like literally that show aired later that day and I got the drug that night. No charge. It's insane. You don't pray for miracles. You just depend on them. And just, I remember that's thinking. That's simple. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, I got to go back to this church. Like, because if, if, if they can do this, what else can they do? And I've been hospitalized one time for that, two for other random things that happen. Yeah. Uh, but like, that's how I did the the Seward Alaska um, Seward, whatever. Yeah. yeah let's get <laughs> yeah, it right here. Yeah. Let's get it right. Uh, that's how I got the craziest 5K. I'm, I've never been more fit. I've never this whole been time more I'm vital. wondering because yeah. you sound like a million bucks, and I'm yeah. thinking, oh, I don't think this is happening anymore. I'm like, how do we get? It's not. So that's why I want to come around to this now. I had no idea. Yeah, no, it's not happening anymore. It's it's. So, so hold on. So go back. <laughs> who was the woman who originally brought you? Does I know she her know name. All this? Have you she told does. Her this? She does. Her and I are very close now. Uh, and and it was so funny back then. When she would talk, I used to think like, wow, she is crazy Christian. Like yeah. this child, <laughs> she needs a hobby, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's easy for you to judge when, you know, you're not speaking miracles over others. But I don't know if she wants me to give out her name. Oh, okay. So I want to be very respectful uh, of her. But, and then, this is so funny. Okay, I'm just going to go into this. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this is, this is where it gets good. So now I'm, I got a chance, this right? This gets good. This is getting better. Oh, come on. You cannot make this up. You cannot make this no. up. All right, go. Come on. And so November, I get the drug. Yep. By December, my lung function's in the 75 percentile. And I go, I think I want my business back. And it's not recruiting. I think I want to actually help people. And at this point, I'd gotten a couple of bookings here and yeah, there for yeah. my speaking business. Right. But like you knew back then, it wasn't. It wasn't, I was good. Yeah. It wasn't great. Yeah. Definitely not unfucking believable. You yeah. know, all yeah. of these things. And I hear a voice, right? And now I know this is God, not just, you know, my multiple personalities coming out. Right. And it goes, start the business. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, how do you legally get off disability? But there's a problem. I don't have many friends, especially friends that like speak life and friends that encourage you and friends that are business owners, but get yeah. it. Yeah. So I go back to Awaken, because <laughs> where else are you going to go? And I hear it very clear. 
start your business. And it was, uh, what was that? Shredder Sunday. It was yes. all the times yeah. to go yeah. back. My goodness, powerful. You're kidding me. That's... And I wrote on my vision card two things. I want a public speaking business where I can help motivate and transform the lives of others. And this is the saddest, loneliest prayer. I wanted friends. Aww. Not crying, that's you. Right. And Shredder Sunday comes, you shred your little card. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm like I'm, I'm tiptoeing into my faith pretty strong at this point, but like, if God can give me a friend, that'd be helpful. I knew you'd get me to cry. Of course. And I shed my stupid little card, because like, yeah, I know God provides miracles, but that was like a coincidence, right? Like, that's not a faith, that's a coincidence. Yeah. Because when you don't believe and you're tarnished, Everything's a coincidence and you can explain everything, right. you know, it's just like they call it God, but what it really is, is, you know what I mean? Like, so you can justify it out. And I shred the card and I'm walking out of all places, the back, because like, I know the mistake I made about going to the tent again. Yeah. So I'm going to just tiptoe out the back and wonder why I don't have any friends. And as I walk away, they go, Hey, and I'm like, are they talking to me? And I turn around and it's like somebody like stitched together real quick, my card and read it. And like, it was like a depth of loneliness I've never experienced. And they go, you were sitting by us, right? And I was like, yeah, that was, yeah, I was sitting right behind you. And they were like, we're having a party tonight. Do you want to go? And I was like, I just wrote about how lonely I was. And like, the problem is, is when you live ready to die, it's okay. Because you don't have to worry about friendships or business or mortgage or gray hairs because you're dying. But then I got a second chance at life and then everything hits you. And you're like, well, If I'm going to live, I need money, I need friends, I need strength, I need vitality, I need all the things that are in the Book of Miracles, but I already got my miracles, so I'm done. And I get invited, total stranger invites me to a party that night. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have friends. And like that night, I met all the Awakened ladies, all the cherished ladies. And I remember I go into the party and we were talking about it, uh, talking about it in the other room. They're the nicest humans in the world. And like, I just remember sitting there thinking like, okay, God, if you can read my Shredder Sunday card, we got some work to do. Like, I'm in because God speaks through the message you most need to hear. And for me, it was like, I gave you a chance at life, not so you could be lonely and do it by yourself. Oh, my God. And then January, I started my business. Wow. Who who invited you to the party? Can you tell me that? Uh, well, I can tell you some of the girls who are there. Uh, goodness, Joy Doe yep. or Joy Dow. Uh, she's a phenomenal. Aaron was there. Rochelle was there uh, from from Balboa. They okay. are doing the uh, Awaken Kids yep. Ministry yep. and the the school system. Uh, who else was there? Doctor Rachel Hamill. I don't know if you know who yes. she was. Yep. So yeah. she was there. Uh, it was actually her party. Uh, no way. Yeah. And so it was just like uh, Jessica Garcia yep. from your campus. Yep. The, the yep beautiful musician yep oh my gosh she's goals in herself like that's that's another world i can't remember everybody else there but i just remember being like whoa and then of course jessica had a background in recruiting i did some consulting for her company when i was really struggling and it was just like these people are actually cool they're not christians right Right. because like i still have that disconnect they're actually cool they're not christians right like (laughs) who knew (laughs) yeah and and only people that go to awaken uh know what that means yeah yeah and it's it sounds weird when we explain it right because that's why we're there yeah they're not christianese yeah yeah they're solid people yeah like 
like thousands. ridiculously solid people. Yeah. Well, and when you asked me to pathfinders, I'm sitting there like, JD, I go to your church. Like, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I literally had no idea. This was what, a few weeks ago? Yeah. Or a month ago? I don't yeah. even know. I can't tell time anymore. So yeah, I'm like, hey, I've got this event, this pathfinder breakfast. Do you want to go? She's like, I think you you said, uh, let me see if I can work it out in my schedule and whatnot. Yeah. Had I, I had already invited you on the podcast prior to that, right? Yeah, but I couldn't make it. Right, because your yeah. arm, you broke your... That's yeah, right, 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 right. Wrist. That was it. Yeah, your wrist. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so then what? Did you go back the following week? How often do you go? Probably, but I remember I legally started my business in 2020. Oh yeah, go into, uh, the, go into that. Okay, go. Yeah, legally started a public speaking the, the, business in okay, 2020. Okay, so tell me about that and then COVID hits. See any flaws with that plan? No. Uh, <laughs> and oddly enough, uh, when you start a public speaking business, you wind up getting sales consulting gigs because everything shut down. Like, how was that possible? Yeah. Uh, but when it's a team of one, you can be pretty agile. So I was like, pivot. And then while I was working through that, it connected me with some incredible business leaders. And we started talking about the workshops and the keynotes, and I'd show them a couple of clips. And fast forward i mean this year we had we mentioned it but 86 engagements i'm already wow. booked for next year wow and so i'm one of the only people uh who've been successful uh to get off social security disability and so totally how, different world so how did that go when did you get off that i don't know the exact date but i have the card yeah uh and i keep it in a little pink bag, a bank bag of like all of these memories. And it's literally my social security identification card. Wow. It's just surreal, man. It's so so surreal. did you tell your, did you tell your mom, your parents about the, the miracle, the, the thing you, you would yeah. your mom go crazy? Yeah. It was a beautiful moment. Uh, yeah. I, it was funny. My mom, have you been baptized by the way? I haven't okay. actually. Okay. So I, here's the deal with that. I want to, yeah. And I know when. Yeah. And so I didn't want to do it without having read the Bible first. Ah. Uh, and everyone says, yeah, but that's when your relationship with God starts. And I was like, right, but God knows I'm kind of a weird case. I want to just like let me reintroduce myself before I fully, fully get that. Um, right. So I have the date in my mind. Uh, you do. I can tell you that off. Really? Camera. Yep. Uh, yep. And so, wow. but there's some things I need to do first uh, for me, for yeah. me, you know? And so. Yeah, it was just wild. And I remember my mom asking me, you know, like, did your did your speaking business blow up once you started believing in God? And I go, no. And she goes, well, then what do you attest it to? And I go, the loneliness has cured because I needed that more than I needed the speaking business. Yeah. And like, for me, that was like, yeah, the drug arriving, don't get me wrong, good job, G. Uh, like, yeah. so amazing, right? Yeah. You know, like, cool, I get to live, but like, then you look at your life and you're like, well, I was planning on dying, so now I need infrastructure, right? Yes. And infrastructure for me meant all the Fs, you know, family, function, fitness, uh, finances, and all of that was in disarray because I gave up on my own life. And then I got to live, and so I needed to work on all the other Fs. Yes. And so the, the first one I tar- targeted was friendship. And that was Shredder Sunday, and I was walking out the back, and Dr. Rachel Hamill goes, you want to go to a party tonight? Is that just unbelievable? Not when you live in our world anymore. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> so did you tell her about that? Like, hey, this was on my... Yeah. What did she say? Yeah, I just felt it? What yeah, she's she, like, I know. She knew, yeah. Like, she's, she's, she's such a powerful know. woman. Yeah. 
So you were walking away. I was going to the parking lot by myself. Yeah. They don't let you hide there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. This yeah. is unbelievable. They don't let you hide. Yeah. And I, I remembered just asking so many questions that night. Cause like it was a Daniel fast party, which I was sitting there like, wait, so what do you do at your parties? You don't drink or you don't eat. Like you just sit around and talk like lame. But I remember walking out of Rachel's house and being like, this was the best party I've ever been to. Like, we sat on the couch and held hands and cried. Like, how amazing. You know, like, this is so powerful. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. So what did, did you get together with him after that? Did you go? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I got to know everyone a little bit more and more individually. And, you know, 2020, with my health and finally getting the chance to live, I wasn't as involved in Awaken because it was the only church that was open, which right. was the only one that probably had maybe COVID circling, and I was in a fear-based mentality. Ah. Yeah. And so, you know, respect for, you know, yes. such strong leaders, by the way, and I want to be very clear on that so it doesn't get misconstrued, total respect for, you know, what they went through, John and Absolutely. Becky, uh, Jurgen, uh, Leanne, of course, like, getting on the news and talking to KUSI and standing in their faith and standing in their conviction. And that was when I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I wanted these people in my life Yeah, because in, in my circle, it was like, Oh, you drank the Kool-Aid. But I thought to myself, like every night, this Kool-Aid gives me power. This Kool-Aid gives me conviction. This Kool-Aid gives me purpose. It's passion. It's, it's created my friendships. It gave me this drug. Like if you're going to drink a Kool-Aid, drink a Kool-Aid that gives you power. Yeah. You know, and that for me was like my no turning back point. So I didn't get to go to service the way I wanted to because I didn't know at the time when it was first happening how serious COVID right. would be for my lungs. Because this is the first shot I have at life yes. and now I'm going to be reckless. And that was how I viewed it. And then as we found out, you know, the health rates, et cetera, that's not as bad. Uh, eventually I got it and I was fine. And then I was like, oh yeah, now I'm coming back. And it's the best decision I ever made. Like, I can't get enough of the Kool-Aid. <laughs> like, it's, it's the book of miracles in every way. And then I remember uh, the next big prayer I did was the next year, Shutter Sunday, I think 21. Yeah, it would have had to have been 21. And I was like, if I'm supposed to speak, man, do what you did with the friends. Do what you did with the health. Like, if not, tell me why I'm alive. Because... You 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 know, like without purpose, you take away a man's vision, you take away everything. Yep. And that was Jurgen's message was about vision. And I just remember being like, I'm giving it to you, God. You know I got a gift. Hopefully. Some people might like it. I don't know. You you know I'm gonna march to my own drummer, but I got the lung function. I got the friends. Finances are coming in from the sales consulting. What? Like what do you want from me? And it was just such a like wreck thing. And I remember that weekend I got thirteen gigs come through my email. And I was like, 13, like, this is more successful than I've ever been. Yeah. And then the next weekend, another 10. And then I started tithing. What? Like, they tell you that? Yeah. They tell you. They, yes. they literally, for five minutes every Sunday, tell you the power of tithing. Right. But, like, I was like, eh, I'll give it 20. Like, you know, the way I figure it out, you divide it. You know, that one guy, you know, divide it, and I yeah. helped four people today. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, fine. Like, whatever. And I did it reluctantly. And then I canceled. I was like, okay, nothing happened, right? And then I did it again reluctantly. Then I was like, yeah, I'll go another couple months. Like, I'm, And then I finally was like, you know what? This is BS. Like, just go. 
And then every week, more and more speaking gigs came up. And then I remember the first time I had a meeting planner call. This is so funny. And they were like, yeah, we really need you on this date. And I said, oh, my goodness, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm booked that date. And it was like the first time I was actually already booked. Yeah. And then they go, oh, that's okay. Let's look at another date. And I was like, oh, my goodness, no meeting planners ever asked for another date. Well, that date was booked, too. And then they're like, well, what about one more? And I was like, uh, okay, yeah, let's look this up. And so we're flipping through to November at this point on my calendar, uh, November 2022. And I was like, I'm sorry, that date's booked also. And then they're like, okay, we'll book you for 2023. 2023, I already have 86 gigs booked. Oh my gosh. Paid for. And I'm just like, wait, what? Oh my God. What? Unbelievable. So exciting. So beautiful. All right. So talk to me about your, um, your talks. What's the... What's, your, what's the most powerful message that you're delivering now? Obviously, your story, right? Eh, bits and pieces. Bits and pieces? Yeah, because like... How does it feel now? Do you feel like you're in your calling? Do you feel like... Oh, this? 100%. 100%. 100%. Good luck taking me out of the ring. And listen, I, and, and you told me, and my wife told me, let, let me tell this story here, because oh, we, we, we invited... <laughs> uh, no. The, the, the Cherish uh, Nights was yeah. a few weeks ago, and Rachel, my wife, was there and and happened to be, well, linked up with you. Yeah. And she told me how you were in the parking lot prior to the event <laughs> for a while before you could come in. Yeah. What's that all about? I think, well, first of all, I was in my cheerleading uniform, and... Like that is still a weird flex to go yeah. in. It, it was pep rally night. So I'm not just hanging out in church parking lots yeah. wearing a cheerleading uniform, like full disclosure for anybody who's not familiar with how we do it. Uh, so there was that fear, right? And I wanted to make sure there were other cheerleaders dressed up because yeah. if not, I'm going to put on jeans, right? And then also I didn't know anyone going that night and I didn't like get invited in a group text, but I knew I wanted to go because it's pep rally night. Yeah. And like I was a cheerleader, not a good one as we've explained, but like I got the uniform so it counts. And there was a chick in rollerblades with like a roller derby helmet on, just like playing roller derby in the yeah, parking lot. Yeah. And I remember being like, well, she can wear that. I'm going in. Like, yeah. but it took me about 35 minutes, like thinking, do I go in? Because I didn't, the way introverts find friends is usually an extrovert. Because you're friends them. Very much so. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. You're a public speaker, a motivational speaker. That's yeah, but it's like. I don't know. I don't know. So like big social events like that, you know, there's a little intimidation yeah. factor. And I walk in and immediately there's, of course, Leela Harris, like the high team all over again. And they're like, Kaylin, hi. And I realized I knew everybody there. So yeah. it was just like a limiting belief that God had to shatter for me. Uh, and even it's funny, like as we talk about introvert versus extrovert, I'm starting to realize God's breaking that too. Like I'm probably not as introverted as I've been telling exactly. myself for 25 years, exactly. you know, so like, all right, I see you. So, yeah, and Cherish wound up being amazing. I had to sit by your beautiful wife. We took way too many selfies. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was powerful. If you sit next to my wife during any event, you will be taking selfies. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be content creation. Absolutely. That's what we call it. Yep. Basically, everywhere we go, content creation. All day. Right? Because I, I remember her te texting me a picture. Going, oh, my God, I'm next to Kaylin. Like, what? <laughs> And yeah. I meanwhile texting my people, oh my God, I'm next to Rachel. Like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah. All right, so talk to me about um, your speaking engagements here. Um, yeah. What, uh, what is, as far as reactions from the crowd, 
like, give me some reactions here, like how, how good it feels and what's, what's the thing that gets the biggest reaction that you, when you share, what's the most inspirational thing that you think that you share time and time again, that gets the biggest reaction. My story takes max 10 minutes. And the workshop piece, I'm just going to talk about the workshop because that's so in my heart right now. Wow. Uh, It's about three hours. So my story is 10 minutes. And what I do in the workshop is I bring you through the mindset of what it's like if you were to truly live as if you were going to die. And then we bring you through your own metaphorical death. Because how many times when you realize, you know, the top five regrets of the dying? Yes. How many times do you leave a funeral or a celebration of life with a different mindset of when you went to it? You make yourself promises, you make yourself resolutions, you put yourself in different environments because death brings you so close to your priorities that it's almost unfathomable. And then I do an exercise where I bring you through your own death. And then when you come out of it, now that you've got that different view, that different life perspective, I give you the tools, systems, and processes to actually integrate it into your life. So we call it the ready to die mindset. It's called the reset. And most people don't know they're going to be talking about death. Like they have no idea when they get in the room. They just see this cute little blonde who's wearing a bunch of pink. They get really confused. And we just rip that Band-Aid off. We get them thinking about their kids, their spouse, their business, all the the, the Fs that we talk about, finances, family, friends, fitness, function. Uh, and then also what charitable contributions or what causes they want to align themselves to. And we, we go deep into their own purpose because like if you, if you truly, the most beautiful thing about living in hospital wards is minimum two weeks every few months, I am in 100% isolation because there's germs all over the hospital. So for the most part, you're left alone. Yeah. And when you're in 100% isolation, you have nothing to do but think. And when you come out of these hospitalizations, you're stronger than ever. And like, When October 2019th hit, I had been down about as deep as you can go into the mindset of being ready to die. And then God had a different idea. He goes, no, you need to be ready to live now. And so when you're ready to live, now you're looking around like, and I remember thinking like, crap, I'm going to get gray hair, JD. (laughs) I'm going to have to pay for a mortgage. I'm going to have to have friends. I'm going to have to have a business. And like all of that came into perspective. And then I thought, if this was this powerful in my life, couldn't I give other people the experience of their own mortality to give them what I went through? And that was what I heard God speak is like, and I remember I was, I was actually hacking, um, hawking, whatever that word is, some speaker, right? Uh, my sales program called Scale Your Sales Force. I was trying, I was pitching so hard. And I got on the phone with a guy and he goes, yeah, but like, I'm really good friends with the CEO of Cutco Knives. I'm never going to listen to your sales advice. That's not, that's not what I need you for. And I remember being like, yeah, but it's really good. We're going to talk about rapport and open demos and questions and how to draw out objections and close on the back end. Like, and I remember just like, you don't know who you're messing with. I'm, you know, I'm saleswoman. And then he goes, Kaylin, I need you to do the thing where you talk about your death. And I go, really? And he's like, yeah, five figures right now, come. And I remember being like, okay. And so we created the doctrine. Uh, we called it the reset. I hired a strategic advisor. Wait, 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 go back. Which part? Who is the person that says, that's, that's telling you this? Who is I, this? I don't remember his name. It was just a random cold call. Just How did you know about it. this death thing? Um, he looked me up and he saw a speech I did in 2016 on YouTube. 
that has like 10,000 views. And that's what he said, I need you to do this thing? Yep. He's and like, what, that's and, the and, message we need. And when was that conversation? Mid to late 2020. And that's where everything just completely flipped? Was it that conversation? Yeah. It was the first rejection I didn't have a rebuttal for. Oh, this is so freaking good. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Because this is brilliant. I had no idea. It was the first objection I've ever had that I didn't already have a canned answer prepared for. I didn't know he looked me up. I didn't know he watched a YouTube clip from eight years ago, five, six years ago. Yeah. Like, I just got on LinkedIn. I was like, hey, you need me to speak to your groups. Let me tell you why I'm awesome. And, like, it came from a place of ego because I'm yeah. selling sales, right? Yes. You yeah. can't sell sales and be like, I yeah. think you might potentially enjoy Like, no, you got to own it. you got to yeah. have power. Yeah, I'm, I'm the ash. He's I'm like, the shit. Yeah, I know the guy, the CEO of Cutco Knives, huge sales force, billion-dollar valuation company. Yeah. John Ruland's probably involved at some point at this. And if you know who he is, he's yeah. cut. Yeah, okay. They're insane. Yeah. And uh, he's like, that's not the message we need. Or he's like, that's not the message we want. You've got another message we all need. And he goes, I'll pay you five figures right now to book it. So so did, so you, did, did he call you back? <laughs> did you call him? One call. One shot, one, one call. kill. One shot, one kill. And he had already heard about you? Mm-hmm. I reached out to him on LinkedIn and he Googled me. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And he watched okay. the speech from 2016. Yep. <laughs> and so like I'm pitching, you know, sales because I, you know, yeah. got sales consulting going. Of course. Uh, and I love sales. I love recruiting. And he's like, that's not the message. I know that's what you're trying to sell, but that's not what I need. And so that was the first time that you basically bottled that up yeah. into an actual, yep. quote unquote, presentation slash workshop. Yep. Now, when you bottled it up, how long was it? Because three hours, that's a long time. It doesn't feel like it. I, 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 I yeah. get that. Yeah. But when you design something to, in the beginning, say, okay, I'm going to make this three hours. Or yeah. do you just say, just let me let it flow and see what happens? You can't. You can't. If somebody gives you a mic, don't just let it flow. Because, right, there's too much to chance based on your emotions that day, et cetera. And for me, I wanted to get it bulleted out. And I really... I didn't know what to call it. So I started calling it mindful leadership, right? Because yeah. mindful is a buzzword, leadership's SEO friendly. It was that dumb. And I remember the first time I gave the presentation, uh, I get downloads. That's that's my superpower. I don't know why, but it's yeah. weird. Uh, I'll leave here and I'll just have a notebook and then suddenly the idea of 3 a.m. pops into me. Yep. I write the whole thing in one sitting and then I test it, test it, test it and move. My second book was written in one day. Like, so just, really? yeah, totes. So how do you test it? What do you? Well, when, when you're in front of a crowd, okay, okay, you can tell it, like who it, likes it. it and who doesn't. Right. And I remember I finished like one of the very first times giving the reset, right? Uh, this whole thing about bringing you to your metaphorical death to see what learnings you preserve and how you want to live the rest of your life. And this lady goes, you know, I've watched motivational speakers for 20 years and I've never been rocked the way you just rocked me. And I remember being like, you, you know, you kind of look up <laughs> like, was that me or was that you? And yeah. then I realized like, yeah, that wasn't me. Right. You know, like I do associate myself as a little shyer and introverted, but like whatever flowed through me that day and it's a total blur. I had it written out, but I don't think that's what came out that day. I yeah. don't know. And I just remember thinking like that wasn't me. Like I've been doing me for 
33 years and never got that reaction. Wow. And so then she told people and then people told people and then just it blew up. All right, like, so yeah. that you're talking about that one right there. What about the guy that booked you? Same, I gave the same one. Who's, who's his first, his was first? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How was the reaction right off the bat with his? It was powerful. I mean, don't get me wrong, right? Like, it's good. Yeah. But it wasn't core shaking because I didn't even believe that that was the message I needed to give. Wow. Like, I didn't, I didn't yeah. believe it. Right. You know, I didn't, you didn't have authority over it. You didn't even know I that didn't have that was it. territorial dominion. I didn't have authority. I didn't have all the things. Yes. Uh, and I remembered being like, I think I'm onto something, but like, I'm gonna need a little more power. Yeah. And yeah, you said it perfectly, authority. And then the second time. <laughs> and then the third. And I think this year I'm at 60. Yeah. And then next year's 86. And like. And they're all the same. I mean, give or take, the audience of makes course. it different, of course. of course. But like, you are going to laugh. You are going to cry. You're going to be like, what the heck is happening? Because it starts off funny. I'm making terminal illness jokes. Like, I actually, I should show it because we're on video. Yeah. I, uh, it was so powerful one day afterwards, I got a take territory tattoo. Wow. <laughs> um, and I, I, I did it because like I walked out of the, the conference room I, and I mean, you talk about just people and like, you know, when it happens for it's an hour and 20 minutes in the heads just one by one start to fall down because like people are wrecked. Yeah. And it's the most beautiful thing to, to watch somebody get wrecked and rise again because that was my story. And I remember thinking like the biggest problem between me and where I'm at now versus what I need is I need more authority and power myself. Right. And I love the concept of take territory, obviously. And I remembered being like, okay. And one morning uh, I watched or I listened to- and That's the awakened way, by the way, take yep, territory. Take territory. Yep. And I listened to their song Authority on repeat for like an hour before I walked into the room. Because uh, you've got you've to do that. You have a part of your brain yes. called the reticular activation system. It's a pencil-like structure above your spinal cord in the back of your head. And this is a thing that's like a honing device. So if you say- you know, I want a new Tesla. You see a Tesla everywhere. That's that part of your brain right. for the listeners who don't know. And my thing was, is like, everyone liked the death thing. I kind of thought it was a little hokey at first. And I remember thinking, I need, I need power. I need territory. I need authority. I need to do all the things that I'm telling other people to do. So I activated my RAS, did some praying about it, listened to authority over and over and over. And then I walked in the room and I just remembered like an eerie calm. I've never had that kind of calm before I took a mic. And I just remember being like, this is authority. And the lights went up and it's like, let's go. And that one was core shattering, core shattering. And I mean, you see guys such as yourself with the biceps who like these guys are tough and they just start to crumble. <laughs> And no, like, not, not JD, of course sure. not. Uh, yeah. Mess. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't go to Awaken if you didn't like to crumble Correct. occasionally. Yeah, like I'm a mess. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. Uh, Rex Crane was speaking. I was a blubbering mess. Dude, he's so powerful. He's insane. That's what it was. It was, it was Rex Crane I was showing me him authority. Earlier. Mm-hmm. I forgot all about that until just now. Mm-hmm. I watched him be him, and he talked about like the tattoo shops where he goes in, and he's just like... 
no, you, you speak authority. And I remembered, and this isn't me, right? I want to make that very clear. Yeah. This is, I happen to have a mic when I'm on stage, duh. But like, it's not Kaylin coming out. Like that's, it's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's that power. And I remembered the first time someone started to like bob their head and you could feel the emotion was coming and your instincts say, rush to them, give them a tissue. But for some reason I held back and I was like, let them experience this. And I remembered going up and just like how Dr. Rachel and Joy have prayed for me over the years. I remember just simply like putting one hand on their, their, what is this, forearm? Forearm. And then the other one on their forehead. And I've never touched a person's forehead. It's a very intimate thing. Yeah. And just the crumbling. And I just remembered like just speaking life into them for the first time. And, and as somebody who thinks that this is weird myself, I was like, what is coming out of my mouth? What is coming out of my mouth? Why is this happening? I don't want it to happen anymore. I got to stop this. And then at the end, like, I just put a tissue on them and I walked away. And anyways, 86 bookings now. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So now you have to. Wild. Oh, it's wild. This is so, so freaking wild. Yeah. I can't, dude, I can't. I called you, dude. Sorry. Okay, I'm something fired up, bro. Um, yeah, my trainer calls women bro in the, in the gym. But anyway. Um, At least it's not bra. Bra. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say now. Um, oh, I can't wait to tell the pastors to listen to this. Yeah. Like John Heinrich. Because you know he was here. He was my last uh, interview His with John Heinrich. So good. Oh, so Tom good. Foster, Dr. Matt, Pastor Jurgen. I'm going to make sure that they watch and listen to this because and and get ready you're gonna get another gig it's gonna be a gig at awakened campuses telling your story (laughs) probably at every single one i'm serious it's going to happen and the first one that you get we'll see where it's going to be most likely balboa i I would assume uh uh, this time i'm going to make sure john listen to me you better get me in the front row for this one when she shares her story i don't want to hear i don't want to hear it i want clout that day (laughs) i can never get in the front it bothers me like, what do I need to do? Who do I need to pay off to get in the front? Well, clearly you just figured it out. <laughs> Take territory. So, Heinrichs, I'm in the front row when Kaylin shares this incredible God story. All right. That's, that's all I want. I don't, I don't want to hear it. That's it. All right. So, all right. We're going to land this plane and I want you to land this because I, I want to get down here a little bit. Hmm. I need you to, I need you to tease us with a little bit of this, you know, this, this, talk that you do talk to me but like if you can sum something up and like whatever like when pe- like what changes in our mindset when we re- like when we put ourselves in a mindset that we're like this is our last our when we're gonna die we call it ready to die ready to die can can you can you hit me with some of this stuff can you hit us with something like a yeah okay go 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 but in order to do this you know the as as Pastor John and Becky and all of them know the best sermons are not talked, they're experienced. So if you truly want that, I am going to give you the experience. I'm not going to just talk into a mic and hope that it works for you. Right. Because hope's not a a strategy. They taught me that. For those who are listening for the first time, um, you have two kids. Yep. Names? Uh, Jacqueline and Johnny. Beautiful. And how old? Seven and 11. Okay. And did you take them to daycare as kids or school drop off? Uh, yeah. You ever had a moment where you kind of do the backseat swat 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and not your kids because they're angels. Of but course. like of if course. they were any other kids, you've seen right. other parents. I've seen this happen before. Yeah. JD, if you knew you were going to die in a traffic collision after you dropped your kids off at daycare, would you have had a different conversation with them on the way there? Yeah, of course. There you go. If anybody just saw his demeanor, everything just changed. Yeah. Traffic accidents are very common in San Diego. Yep. You spent that 20 minutes swatting at your kids because they were being kids. But if you knew that you would never get to pick them up from school again, you would have had a different conversation before you dropped them off. And, Kaylin, this is so powerful because I see a lot of parents that uh, see their children as... Uh, a hindrance in their life yeah. that they'll make comments to me like, Oh, well, I only have five more years till I get to kick them out of the house. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. My parents never said that cause they didn't know what year I was going to be picked out of the house. I see it all the time. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, it's sad Yeah. because what do we really have here as a legacy when we're gone? Yeah. The countdown's not till 18. Right. It's not a prison sentence. No. Exactly. All right. So talk, go further with this. Give me the, give me the top. What do you say? Top five regrets. Of top people? five regrets of the day. And let's do it. Uh, one, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Two, I wish I would have allowed myself to be happier. Three, I wish I would have had the courage to live the life I wanted versus the life others expected of me. Four, now I'm running a little rusty because I'm on the slide. Uh, four uh, was I wish I could have done the things that filled my purpose mm. and life fulfillment. And then number five was I wish I could have allowed myself to truly pursue anything I wanted. And what do you think holds people back? Same thing why every other church shut down. Fear. Yep. Why every other church folded like a lawn chair. Lions, not sheep. <laughs> Sean Whalen, shout out. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about death. It's another thing to go into the hospitals, go into the palliative care centers, you know, say, what would you have done differently? How would you have lived? And the thing is, is like many people take that on as a personal challenge. But that was my life for 12 years in the wards, is talking. Like, Laura didn't move to Wisconsin. <clears throat> Laura moved to the ICU. Yeah. And I remember the one, the one memory that haunts me every single, every single day. I think about it. Uh, when, when you're a kid, uh, mid-afternoon, you get to go to the ward for the exercise, the orthopedic ward. And it's in the, the bottom of the hospital next to the morgue, which is funny, but like whatever. And there's two treadmills and the treadmills faced each other. Cause at this point they didn't know about the six feet apart rule. Yep. And I remember I'd run on the treadmill so hard until I'd cough and then puke because in order to get the mucus out, you need to excrete it. And that's through physical exertion. And there was a little boy and his name was Jake. And at the time Jake was maybe six or seven and he would come in and he'd like see me running. Cause you are your environment. And he would see me running and he would run alongside me as fast as he could until he got sick and started coughing and then Jake would quit. And then one day Jake showed up wearing an oxygen mask. And I remember thinking like, why does this little boy need, and he didn't have the cannula, he had the physical mask. And I remember saying like, 
wow, that sucks. Like, why does Jake need a mask? I'm double his age. And uh, I'm doing my running that day. And he looks up at me and he goes, one day I want to run like you can, like in a way that like only a sweet little boy can say. And that night he was put on a ventilator and that weekend he passed. Oh my gosh. And like, you need the motivation to work out. Think about the little boy who only wanted to play soccer, who never got that chance. And then we're going to be like, you know what? Nah, I think I'm going to just sit on the couch today. Like there's no rest days when you have a ready to die mindset. And that's what's beautiful is like suddenly fear is gone. And sure, there's always going to be things, you know, that, you know, you and Dr. John or um, John Heinrichs talked about uh, on his show. There's always going to be days where you don't feel like doing it. Right. But if you know it's your last day, you'll suddenly like the motivation comes. It's that simple. It's so simple. It's so simple. Simple, but not easy some days. It's not easy. There's no question about that. All right, leave our audience with one more pearl. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> um, People that are right now, they're, they're suffering with major fear because we're just being fear-mongered to, to no end right now. Again. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't end. Doesn't yeah. end. Yeah. I'll go know, back. Go on. Good. I was going to say, they don't know what to do. Where do they turn? What do they, besides listening to this great podcast? It comes down to two principles for me. Uh, number one. Take territory. You don't have to let fear in. You can choose to. And it takes a strength to say, you know what? That fear, that ain't for me today. I'm going to put that on the side. I got other goals. You know, when you focus on the outcome, suddenly the how and the why come together. But when you're focusing on the why me, right, as we alluded to earlier, you can't always see the outcome. So to me, take territory means focus back on the outcome and the how and have the courage to do it. And then number two is speak life. And I say speak life because... The second you start encouraging your friends, your family, you Mm. learn how to encourage yourself. So if you're in a down spot, first day of every hospitalization, send about 100 text messages to everybody on my phone. Hey, have a great day. Hope you're well. Why? Because in the next two weeks when people check their phones and decide to respond, it'll usually happen after a really aggressive treatment. Ah. And I get that text message like, hey, beautiful. Good to hear from you. Let's catch up. I miss you too. The more life you speak into other people and the more vitality you give others. Yes quicker it is to pull you out speak life into people ladies and gentlemen be the light be a light in people's yeah. lives right yeah. yeah kaylin this was amazing i can't believe two hours um, seriously. oh yeah. yeah yeah what yes oh my goodness well go us high five yes <laughs> thank you so much for coming in ladies and gentlemen real deal talk kaylin ellsbury look her up online we're going to put all your social channels on that, that cool. we can they can tap in and guys get ready She's going to be coming to us an awakened stage soon near you sharing this amazing story. You're going to be. I can't wait. I, I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. It's I'm going to be in the spoken. front row. Everybody lead pastors of every church. <laughs> I'm going to be in the front row every time she shares this. I don't care who, who you need to bump out of their seat. Tell them I'm coming in. <laughs> Kaylin, thank you so much. It's been an honor. Real deal talk. Uh, love you. Later. <laughs>